supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, does it? AM 1420. WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast. And what a night we have for you tonight. Unbelievable. I just, I can't believe... How this show is shaping up. You're not going to want to stray far from your radio tonight, folks. Because we are conducting, I guess we could say we're conducting a live investigation on the air. Uh, because we have live field reports that are going to be coming in all night long here on Spooky South Coast. You know, we we started off with the idea of talking about the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44, who uh, has a long history of appearing before motorists on Route 44, even getting in the car with them. But we'll get into all that. We were going to focus just on that, and uh, at the same time that we are in the studio, we have Christopher Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads with us as well, and it's myself and the silent assassin, Matt Costa, here in the studio. And out in the field is science advisor Matt Moniz, along with John Horrigan, the organizer of the Mass Monster Mash conference, and they have with them an actual reporter documenting what's going on out there. They have uh, Billy Baker of the Weekly Dig, a Boston newspaper. They're going to be out in the field, and the idea was for them to go up and down Route 44 and try and, and find this hitchhiker, but John is the master planner. He is incredible. I mean, just the stuff that he can plot out and the time, oh, it's, it's amazing. I wish I had that kind of precision planning, and, and he has actually expanded this to include a whole bunch of sites located within the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, some of these haunted locations that we've talked about in the past and that you've read about on Chris's site. Uh, we're going to actually have people out in the field trying to see if they can capture anything, if they can uh, you know, contact any spirits out there. They brought digital cameras with them. They have a, a digital uh, voice recorder. Um, and, and, of course, they're going to be documenting their own experiences with, you know, I'm assuming that, uh, that Billy the reporter is somewhat of a skeptic. He seems, he seems to be a little bit skeptical. And so that's going to be uh, a major tool, actually, uh, while they're out there because we know from experience – you know, the things that can happen out in that area. And we know that uh, Matt Costa and myself were actually out there uh, just the other night. Uh, Friday night we explored the ledge in the Freetown State Forest. And you know the feelings that you get out there. If you've been out there, you know that there's something charged in that area. There's something going on. And uh, so if you want to share any of your stories with us while we are discussing any of these locations, then you can give us a call, 508 508- Nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred, and what we're going to do is uh, the plan right now is to because we know that we can't really do this justice if we try to squeeze it all within to the normal confines of Spooky South Coast. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus totally on this all night long. Uh, we'll we'll save the week and weird for next week, and uh, what we can do is because you know the powers that be are home and in bed and they don't have their radios on. We're going to go past midnight. Uh, We're going to go at least until 1230. Who knows? Because if they get out there and they get out in the field and they encounter something, we definitely don't want to lose that. So uh, what we're going to do is we'll give you a little bit of a background with Chris Balzano here in the studio while we're waiting for the guys to get out to the the Freetown State Forest area, the Route 24 area, where they're going to find some of this stuff. So if – I mean, Chris, really, what what do you think they can expect to find out there overall, big picture? Um, Well, actually – the, the 
places that they're going to, <clears throat> excuse me, are probably the first places I ever investigated. When I, way before there was a Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads, when it was just some, some friends looking to kind of investigate some stories, um, we went to all the places that they're going to tonight. So I think they can expect to find a variety of different hauntings, uh, hopefully, um, and for things to kind of manifest themselves different ways. I mean, we saw everything from, uh, from you know, quick shadows to uh, one person had uh, their legs grabbed in those areas. So I think really they're um, – and, and the most exciting thing they can find is just kind of the general atmosphere of here's a town where a lot of paranormal stuff happens. Uh, could be one of the most haunted uh, towns in Massachusetts, if not New England. And I think they're going to have a lot of fun out there. I mean, it's just kind of when you get out there and you're investigating like that, it really is um, kind of in the thick of things. And it's something really um, you you feel like you can touch the touch the paranormal at any time. And hopefully that's what's going to happen. And maybe the paranormal is going to touch them. So well, <laughs> that's why I'm in here. Uh, you know, you, you feel you, you're happy to be safe and secure in the spooky studio. Um, I, I love Rehoboth. I think it's just a, a really great town anyway to go to. I think it's it's got a lot of history. It's very quaint and really nice to be around. And and the cemeteries there are beautiful. There's there seem to be more cemeteries there than anywhere else in, in Massachusetts. Some of them are just uh, small two person civil war graves um other ones are huge and, and seem to take up acres of of land so it's it's i wish i was out there as well but um i'm fine just being right here with you guys and in all your research uh, have you found any reason why there is such a high concentration of, of graves um i i haven't I, I think that um you know the the king philip's war has a lot to do with mm -hmm. it uh, a lot of graves kind of date back very uh you know further back into into that time and, and then revolutionary time um, I kind of found in my research of, of Freetown that this area kind of served a lot of different um, a lot of different battles and skirmishes be, uh, during the Revolutionary War because Freetown was kind of the only Tory town um, in in Massachusetts, one of the, the only towns that really stayed strong to the British and kind of was against the the Revolution. And people basically used to lose battles and then come up here to, to the southeast, you know, to southeastern Massachusetts and kind of take out their anger by beating up, <laughs> you know, by getting into battles and, and skirmishes with the people up in this area. So, And I know that, you know, we've attacked, uh, in, in previous shows, we've attacked the idea of the Bridgewater Triangle and the whole, all of southeastern Massachusetts and the, the paranormal climate here. We've addressed that in, coming from different point of views. And if one of them is, in fact, that, you know, there is a, a negative energy, as, as you believe, that uh, kind of gains force around here, mm -hmm. that maybe that high number of graves helps contribute to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's there seem to be, you know, more people buried there, and so you know, if if you if your energy is kind of concentrated onto, uh, into areas where your actual physical body might be, then that would definitely account for that. And, and normally we need science advisor Matt Moniz here to to back me up on all things math and science, but I can pretty much do the math: more dead bodies equals more potential ghosts. Right. Right. I mean, if you want to look at it <laughs> quite simply, so, and. While they're out there, I mean, we'll, we're going to definitely touch upon some of these individual cases, these individual stories and the reports. Uh, John Horrigan has put together a lot of the information that they'll share with us uh, during the course of their trip out. And, of course, Chris and all your research as well. If While, while we're having this discussion, if you'd like to jump onto Chris's website, the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads site, just go to masscrossroads.com, and you've got maps and you've got pictures and you've got you know eyewitness accounts uh, of what they've experienced and 
there's also if you if you want something a little bit not as in depth, just to get a, a general idea of where there might be haunted locations in your area, you can go to the Shadowlands.net. That's a pretty good site uh, in terms of just listing places where there've been reports. A lot of it is hoaxes, uh, a lot of it is horse hockey, but they do try to give you a little bit of a. The reports that are coming in. I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't start planning a, an investigation based on what I've read on the Shadowlands site, but they do do a good job of compiling those reports quite simply. And Chris takes that even to a whole nother level because you're out there, you're interviewing the people involved, and right. and doing a lot of the background research and finding out. That, you know, as Matt said, Matt Mo, uh, Matt Moniz was here prior to heading out for the investigation, and and he said, you know, the the reporter asked him, Billy asked him if he prefer the term paranormal investigator and, and he told you know he said he prefers the term paranormal researcher because it's more important to do the stuff that's you know outside of the investigation investigating is just one part of it and it's just a huge resource for the investigators around here to be able to look at your site and some of the information that you've compiled and be able to use that as a jumping off point and uh, it makes a lot of good show topics too it does <laughs> So uh, do you want to take a break and burn some commercials, Silent Assassin? All right. So we're going to do that. We're going to burn some commercials now so that we can uh, get right into the investigation. We, we figure maybe another 15, 20 minutes or so, and they should be out there, and we'll start getting some live reports. But in the meantime, if you'd like to share some of your experiences, not only in the Bridgewater Triangle area, in the Freetown State Forest area, along Route 44, along Route 24, just any paranormal experiences you might have had in general. I mean, we're talking ghost sightings. We're talking um, alien visitations, UFO sightings, uh, anything outside of the norm that you wouldn't feel comfortable talking about, you know, even with your own friends and family. We want you to feel comfortable sharing it with us because chances are we're going to believe you because we know people or we've experienced it ourselves too. So give us a call, 508 996 Five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred, and we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services including Reiki, Kuan Yin, Magnified Healing, and Meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations knowledgeable staff has over 40 years experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. They wanted to see something different, but something different saw them first. The hills have eyes. This is Michael Berryman, and I'm letting you know that you're listening to Spooky South Coast. Stay tuned. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin Matt Costa, also in the studio, along with our in-studio guest, Christopher Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads. And uh, out en route uh, to some haunted locations, we have science advisor Matt Moniz, John Horrigan of the Mass Monster Mash Conference, and just so many other things. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a sports broadcaster, and he, he's got a long, experience, uh, long resume of investigating the paranormal as well. So we have two you know, certified, you know, absolutely experienced investigators out in the field, and we have a reporter as well, Billy Baker, who's doing a story for the Weekly Dig out of Boston. He's going to chronicle what's going on out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to start to at some point drive them a little bit crazy because they're going to if if anything happens and they're going to start to investigate every little nook and cranny they're not going to let anything get by them so uh you're in for it Billy I hope uh, if you're listening in the car just to let you know uh, have a have a scrut uh, an eye of scrutiny while you're out there and and uh make sure that if the the redheaded hitchhiker gets in the car you bring him back here to the studio cuz Matt Mooney's left his buffalo wings well there are 3 of them <clears throat> 3 and, that's, and one of the, the most popular legends involves uh 3 people being in the car so um, they say that if there are three people in the car and you're on Route 44, that a, he will appear as the fourth person. So assuming that the, our reporter, Buddy, is the one that's in the back seat. Which, uh, of course, you know he is. Because the and the shakers are in the front seat. Um, he's probably the one that's going to uh, gonna have the back street partner. So the back uh, – <laughs> Taxi partner, sorry. <laughs> we, we, we wish you luck with that then, Billy, because, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. We were talking about that earlier today. And, uh, you know, Matt, when Matt told some of his friends and, and fellow investigators that this is what was going on tonight, they said, oh, I'd love to tag along for that. I'd love to tag along. And the more people that wanted to go, you know, he's like, if, if I take all these people, I won't have any room for the hitchhiker. So he was trying to make sure he kept a seat open uh, for him because, you know, you don't want to have to make the hitchhiker sit on somebody's lap. That's that's just inappropriate. And I I think even he would be creeped out by that. Even the redheaded hitchhiker would find that a little bit strange. Yeah. Well, I so, find it strange just talking about it. So. It is. So let's move on. <laughs> and if you would like to share any of your experiences or encounters with us, uh, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Those are the numbers to get in touch with us. And if you'd like to talk about some of these locations out there, some, I mean, some of them are not overtly paranormal. And, you know, there's a lot of areas out just, I guess, well, we'll use the term Bridgewater Triangle as kind of the centering point of what we're talking about tonight. But even as, as you've been talking about in, in recent months, the expansion of that triangle, that it's really just not the Freetown, Bridgewater, Lakeville points that it was before. It's really seeping out of that area. Right. And there's so much just strangeness that goes on all the way around it that if it is a true vortex, you know, a vortex basically would suck things in and and uh, I guess – and it could also seep out. And so maybe it's expanding more and more and sucking more of this area in. And I think the more that we're exposing it, uh, the more people are coming forward with stories. So it's not one of those things where uh, we're re- we've really tapped the resources – we go out and speak someplace, or um, or uh, you know, we do a radio show like this, or you know, the the book that I'm working on. Um, once that kind of comes to light, um, then all of a sudden we start getting emails, we start getting calls, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why Rehoboth has such a rich uh, paranormal history is that Charles Robinson lives um, in. Uh, in, in Rehoboth, and so I think kind of it's one of those things when that book hit, when the New England Ghost Files hit, um, and their town kind of became on the map for that, for the ghost stories that were happening there, 
other people started saying, well, you know what, I experienced something too. And so they just kind of became more aware of their situation and aware of the things around them. And the, the ghosts were allowed to kind of uh, I, you know, and come to light. I, I went to a bookstore out in that area, uh, which I can't say the name right now, but uh, we'll plug it on the website. And so uh, I went to this bookstore out there uh, last week, and this bookstore had a pretty significant collection of books on the paranormal, which I was, you know, is this left over from Halloween? And the woman said, no, no. We have a call for these type of books all year round. There is a legitimate interest in the subject matter in this town. And I believe it's in Raynham uh, where this bookstore is. And uh, she was talking about Charles Robinson's books, and she actually has had direct contact with him because he was basically self-publishing them through a little publishing company. And when they needed more books, they contacted him directly to order more. And at some point, he just stopped taking their phone calls. He just didn't want to push that book anymore, and uh, it had kind of just uh, – I think it went. It took a life of its own on more than he thought that it was going to, right. uh, because there are so many experiences that happen in that area that people are just jumping on it. And so, you know, uh, you have a copy of the book, and as I've found in my Amazon uh, searches uh, and eBay searches, you better hold on to that right. because they're getting harder and harder to come by. And we're talking prices of like fifty, sixty bucks for a copy now. And it's a, uh, it's, it's good for me because the few copies that are out there, people are finding it through my store, and I'm a. I'm an associate, so I'm actually getting kickback money for uh, yeah. every copy that's sold there. So I love it. Go out there and spend sixty dollars on a book. I... And, and speaking of your website and, and your and your book, uh, you, you said that you're looking to compile some more stories from people from Fairhaven, and I know that there's plenty of Fairhaven stories. We've heard quite a few of them on the show, and uh, we've had some on the message board. How how can people get in touch with you? What what exactly are you looking for? Um, well, in my research, I've kind of discovered that uh, uh, parts of Fairhaven used to be uh, kind of the original uh, Freetown. Uh, and then it was annexed at a certain point, certain uh, parts of of uh, of the, the town. So what I'm looking for is to kind of stretch my book out into all of the places that used to be Freetown as mm -hmm. well, to kind of because there's such a, a such a vast amount of stories that are coming from there. So I'm looking for anyone that's kind of had a paranormal experience, or you know, some of the places I know that there's the library and there's also. Well, don't, um, don't say that they get mad now. I know. <laughs> uh, and there's some other locations, and kind of even if you just know of uh, a place you know you haven't experienced anything yourself but you kind of know that it's it's out there and you've heard people talk um i'm just kind of looking for for some uh for some arrows to kind of point me in the right direction so i can go out there and do some research and you can either go onto my website uh www.masscrossroads.com um and kind of contact me there or you can go directly to my email which is alosa alosa uh, 1066 at masscrossroads.com. All right, and I think the VIP line is ringing, so I think we have our first live report coming in from the field. Is this you, Science Advisor Matt Moniz? Why, yes, it is. How are you? Uh, just passing over the Braga Bridge as we speak. The longest bridge in the world. And so uh, wh what exactly um, what exactly uh, have you got planned now first on the agenda? Well, we're first heading out uh, across the bridge and then we're going to hit 44 en route to uh, uh, Shea Factory Pond yeah, first. And uh, and do you, are you familiar with some of the reports coming? I know Chris is uh, familiar with some of the reports coming out of there. Uh, Shea Fa Factory Pond, I believe, uh, one with um, basically there was a building burned down. Yeah, uh, it was a set of a, um, a mill fire, I believe, and uh, ghosts have been reportedly seen on, on the site. 
Okay, well, I've, I've, uh, I'm cheating because I've got the book here in front of me. <laughs> and um, it was actually the Orleans Cotton uh, Manufacturing Company, which kind of got the, um, the nickname of the Shade Factory. And it burnt down in 1844. And they believed it was arson. They believed there was some kind of sketchy business going on. Um, then, uh, you know, kind of fast forward 100 years, and uh, people began to see um, the figure of uh, an old man uh, is mentioned in the book. Uh, basically, a couple is walking because it's a very peaceful place. Mm. Uh, I've been there a few times. It's kind of very serene and very relaxing, and it's on the pond. And even the, the ruins themselves are kind of, you know, not menacing. And they saw an old man walking there, and he just kind of looked very sad. Um, other reports have seen uh, someone actually walking and then disappearing and appearing before the people, so actually crossing the entire length of the pond and appearing you know, within uh, yards of the people. Um, people have seen the fire, so uh, they're almost kind of reliving, almost more like a psychic recording rather than, than a than Like a, like a replay haunting, a, a residual haunting. Right. right. And then um, I've had one person who reported to me that they saw um, someone jump from one of the windows on fire into the pond, disappear when they hit the water. Uh, I've been unable to find any report of someone dying in that way during the fire, like mm-hmm. jumping into the water. But, I mean, still, that it's, it's um, you know, it's 100 years ago, so there's not necessarily a lot of facts based on um and depending the on the things. depending on the person reporting it, you know, that might have been a little bit too sensational for the for the right. periodical at the right. time. Right. There wasn't a lot of uh, weekly world news being put out back then. <laughs> uh Matt, while we have you on the line, we have another caller uh if you want to hang on too and and take this call with us. All right. All right. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I've been on uh I've been at Shad Factory myself on occasion. And have you uh, experienced anything out there? Actually, we uh, centered one of our recent uh, TV shows. I, <laughs> I, I was going to wait for uh, for you to say it, Matt. <laughs> how you guys doing? Great. How are you? This is Keith, of course. This is Keith Johnson, the demonologist of New England Anomalies Research. And and so you uh, you actually did a recent show uh, for, of Ghost or Near out there. Yes, yes, we censored it around there. We did an investigation of the factory site, and uh, we ourselves didn't really experience anything concrete there, but uh, it was our first time there, and uh, at least we did investigate it. And, of course, you can't expect something to happen the first time you're there necessarily, but uh, we will be going back there at some future date. Well, we'll definitely have to send out a contingent to go along with you as well. Oh, please do. It was. Uh, I'll come with you, Keith. Oh great! Who is who is the guest tonight? That, that's Matt Moniz. He's out. What we're doing is uh, it's myself and Matt Costa in the studio with Christopher Balzano of uh-huh. the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. Okay. And we have out in the car. Matt Moniz is out there with John Horrigan and uh, a reporter named Billy Baker, and they're actually going along Route 44 and visiting some of these supposedly haunted sites and seeing if they can find any proof or find any kind of uh, evidence of what's going on out there. Let me know if they pick up the red-headed phantom. That's that's who they're gunning for. That's oh, the that's the major focus. We're going to try to bring him back to the studio, and uh, Matt Moniz left some buffalo wings here for him. So, oh, fantastic! That's what we're hoping. That for. ought to lure him in. Yeah. Hey, they're good. Hey, he's got to be some reason he's got red hair, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and and uh, just how how are things going with the show, Keith? Things are going good. They're going extremely well. Uh, last couple of episodes, we've been concentrating on Penn State. You know, the Unicon, mm-hmm. which we had a great time there, excellent time, and uh, I got to meet uh, a lot of good people there. Well, I got, go- to, got to meet uh, Chris Fleming of Dead Famous, among others, 
And I didn't realize he was such a fan of mine. <laughs> Everybody's a fan of yours, Keith. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and we're going to have to try to get that show uh, out into more cable systems, too. Oh, yes, definitely. I would uh, love that. And uh, I know uh, we were, uh, Chris Balzano and I were talking earlier, there's there's a station in Massachusetts that's looking to carry more paranormal programming. And I know uh, our guy out in Wareham, Steve, he's he's definitely interested in carrying your show. I talked to him a little bit about it. So we, we can get it out there and we can get more people viewing the show and more people feeling comfortable with the paranormal. Fantastic. And I know Matt Moniz has promised he's going to be a guest on my show. I'll be there. You tell me when, Keith. <laughs> okay, great. We'd love to have you on. He's really turning into a media <laughs> darling, isn't he? Oh, yes, he is. He's been on the Boston Globe. He's going to be in the Weekly Dig. And he's got it written all over him. He does. He's, he's, uh, we always say he's got a face for radio, but it works well in the newspaper and television, too. <laughs> great. All right, Keith. Well, thank you for checking in with us. Okay. It was and great talking to gonna you. We're going to have to have you here in the studio sometime soon. Oh, I will be there. Just give me a call. Okay. All right. You take care, and God bless, guys. You, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That, of course, is, is Keith Johnson of New England Anomalies Research, and you know him as the demonologist from TAPS. And I thought for sure on a recent episode of Ghost Hunters they were going to have to call Keith in when they had the, the little kids that were uh, supposedly haunting this family's home. And, and I thought it was going to be something demonic, but, you know, Keith sightings are rare now on Ghost Hunters because he's so busy uh, with Nier and, and uh, all the leaps and bounds that they've been making lately. Uh, now, Matt, are you still with us? Yeah, but I'm going to have to get off the phone in a few minutes. We're going to be getting off the road in a little bit. Okay, I was going to say, why don't we let you go so that you can actually get out and investigate instead of being tied to the phone. All right. So just keep checking back in with us. You got and it. And stay safe. Yep. Okay. Bye. And so, uh, yeah, that's the general idea of the show. You just heard it there. It's We're going to just take live reports from Matt Moniz, John Horrigan, and, and Billy Baker while they're out there, and we'll see if they can capture anything. And at the same time, we'd like to, to hear more from... From the listeners, uh, any of your experiences, uh, Chris was saying that he's looking to compile some reports uh, of things that have gone on in Fairhaven, and I know that there's been plenty that has gone on in Fairhaven. And also, uh, you mentioned as you get out and you speak about some of this stuff, and we're actually going to be doing something together coming up on the 21st of November. We're going to have, uh, I guess we could call it a discussion. We, uh, uh, not really a lecture because, you know, we don't like to lecture to people. We like to have a conversation with them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get together. It's going to be the Spooky Crew and Chris Balzano and Chris Pittman, who runs the website on the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, is he, I, I heard that John gave him a URL. Yeah. So Yeah, at the, uh, what, at the Monster Mash. What, what was uh, the URL? Month. Do you remember that he? I haven't sliced it. Okay. No. So we, it's got to be easier than uh, members.aol.com slash Socorro64. But there's a link to that on SpookySouthCoast.com, so it'll be easier to find. But we're all going to get together in Freetown because the Freetown Historical Society would like to hear a little bit more about some of these hauntings. It's it's kind of news to them. So we're going to give them a presentation, hopefully multimedia even. We took some photos out at the ledge yesterday, and we're going to try and put some of that stuff together. And we invite the public to come on out and check it out. We don't know exactly where it's going to be yet. We're going to get all that information out to you, but we do know that it's going to be Tuesday, the 21st of November, at 7.30 p.m., uh, somewhere in Freetown, uh, wherever their building is that they have their meetings. So uh, make sure you keep that date open on your calendar. Keep checking SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll have more information. Now, when you, you must get a lot of call from people that want to know more about, you know, they might say, gee, we, this is the first we've heard about this in our area, and, and you have to kind of become, instead of the, you know, the investigator, the educator. Right. And do you find that when people do contact you, is it, are they interested in finding out about this for because 
they think there's something going on or is it kind of like, okay, stop telling people that? Okay, stop telling people that. No, I've never had um, anyone contact me and say stop promoting this place or stop telling people that this town is haunted. I'm very excited that Freetown's kind of embracing this. The historical society is kind of embracing this because I was hoping that my book wouldn't come out and you know and inf- offend an entire town. Um, the majority of people that contact me want to, me to know that they've experienced something or they've kind of heard a rumor and um, have you heard of this? Uh, oftentimes they offer me some kind of background, like this this battle happened here or these um, you know these prisoners died in the forest or or something like that. And they're they're asking me, have other people experienced this? And just not up on your site yet. And you know, can I talk to you about it? And and let's not forget too, what's on your site isn't all the reports that you've gotten either. It's only the ones you've been able to really dig into and and interview people. And as you were saying before we came on the air, you know, try to judge their credibility. Right. But you must get reports uh, on a daily basis of of some of the stuff going on. Do you think that? Maybe is a higher concentration of those reports from Freetown more so than anywhere else? Or do you think it's just because it's kind of more of a, a smaller, more localized area that when something does happen, it does happen to more than one person? I think that it's it's more southeastern Massachusetts mm-hmm. than any other place. I'm not quite sure. I don't know if it's kind of perpetuates itself, so I put more southeast uh, southeast Massachusetts stuff on so people find it because they're Googling it or they're, they're search-engining it, search it somehow. Um, but I find that the uh, the hauntings themselves vary. Well, as we were talking, when I interviewed you for the Bridgewater Triangle story I wrote that doesn't exist, <laughs> we uh, it paranormally disappeared from the newspaper. Well, when we were talking for that story, you said that when you started the Crossroads website, you were hoping to get hauntings from across the state, and you didn't really want to keep getting drawn back into this right. area, but for some reason, you just it just kept pulling you back in. It's, you know, it's like the godfather that way. <laughs> and it just seems like, you know, is it more so that there's such a high level of hauntings or is it more that it's such intensity that people have to talk about it? I think it's intensity. Um, I think that it's a little of both, but I think that um, people want to feel connected mm-hmm. and they realize that uh, they've experienced something. They think other people have, but they're not sure, and so they want to contact someone who has, who's kind of collected those stories and can kind of tell them, yeah, you're not crazy. Other people have too. But I think also a large part of it is that there are um, places with names. You know, you can easily find it's. It's hard if you're if you're looking for you have a ghost in your house and mm-hmm. you, and you want to know more about it. But uh, you know, you experience something at Anawan Rock. You know, you, you type in Anawan Rock and you find sites to talk about it, and so it's easier to contact. So I think um, southeastern Massachusetts has more of those places with names. And, and the fact that it is connected all the way back to Native American history. Right. I mean, it just kind of intensifies things. No, you know, because you can kind of dis—you uh, can kind of just ignore some things that happen to you. But when there's actually, um, you know, backstory that you know of, whether it be a tragic war like King Philip's War, or whether it be, um, you know, something like the highway killings uh, in Freetown, and there might be ghosts associated with that. Because you have that backstory, it kind of confirms it for you, and it becomes harder to ignore until you want to engage someone about it, because, you know, it makes it a little bit truer in your mind. Now, one thing that we've been touching upon uh, here and there, and it's part of the ultimate goal of our uh, our contingent that's out there on the street tonight, is the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44. And for those who are unfamiliar, why don't you just share uh, just a little bit about some of the, the history of the reports. And I know that sure. one of the things uh, that you talk about on the Mass Monster Mash site, too, uh, and some of the audio clips that John has posted up there, did you talk about some of the mythology that surrounds this? Uh, what separates the idea and the 
the reports of the red-headed hitchhiker Route 44 from the general urban legends that you might hear similar stories from other areas? Um, I think the uh, the the basic uh, urban legend, um, which is a person is driving down a road, they pick up a hitchhiker, the hitchhiker disappears. Um, usually, those are associated kind of with um, with a certain area. In other words, it's, it's just kind of a general thing. It happens here, it happens here, it happens here, it happens here, and people experience different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's specific about is uh, specific about the redheaded hitchhiker is that many people have picked him up, or many people have spotted him. So it's one of those situations when you're trying to figure out whether something is a legend or whether something is is possibly true. Is um, how many people have experienced the same thing that didn't know about it in the first place, and a lot of these people. Uh, didn't seek out the red-headed hitchhiker, didn't know about him, experienced it, and then kind of contacted either me or or someone else who who has posted a story. So um, the legends, generally, you can't trace it back to any real sources. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just someone heard that something happened, and they reported to a friend, and friend, and you get it, you know, fifth-hand knowledge of it, where these are um, first- and second-hand stories of things that are going on. And and one thing too about it is you know these websites such as yours and and you know mainly yours that's reporting on the redheaded hitchhiker but a lot of these sites they've only been around for the last four or five six years right. so for these reports to have been so uh, you know so strong in the years before it, it you can't be so specific uh, without something actually happening I mean it would take a huge conspiracy or a huge let's play a hoax on people for everybody to have the same details and the same type of experience so the fact that it was out there for so long and just the internet helped combine a lot of these stories it's not like you know you posted up one person's experience and then all of a sudden 50 other people said yeah that happened to me too I mean you were getting these reports independently from other people and and putting them all together into one heading Right, and, and and the interesting thing that has happened is that even within those true accounts, a mythology has developed around it. So, for example, the thing we uh, the discussed before with the three people and then the f- he appears as the fourth person, that starts to delve more into the realm of of urban legend mm-hmm. and more into the to the realm of local folklore. So what happens is, is I'm getting a lot more stories like that now. Um, and now I'm finding consistency, a consistency with those stories, which is to me just as exciting because here we have a true haunting, um, something that happened, something that people have independently confirmed experiencing, and then all of a sudden now I'm getting you know half a dozen people that are reporting a a more folklore aspect of it, which means that it's, it's, it's going to get it's, popular, it's developing, and, yeah. it's going to get more popular, and 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 then. That's when you kind of have to cut off the line saying, you know what, now I'm dealing with folklore because mm-hmm. so many people have been exposed to it that everyone kind of wants a piece of it. Everyone wants to share something, and I'm not getting firsthand experiences anymore. I'm getting, um, you know, if you drive up to the line and honk your horn, he'll appear in your car to the town line. And, and I want to hear that because, of course, you have to honk three times. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you start hearing three, those three buzzwords, the, numbers, uh, number. and, and things like that, then you kind of know that. Ah, you know, it's to me it's just exciting because I love um, urban legends and mm-hmm. the crossroads is kind of like that the meaning of those two things. But in terms of actually, you know, proving or disproving that this hitchhiker might exist, that's where I draw the line is, is when I start to hear these reports that, you know, third, fourth hand. Well, we had you in here in September. We did a whole show on urban legends and and whether or not they're true or not. And actually, we're on the phone because I, rem- I remember when <laughs> we played that little trick there. So, but we, I mean, we talked about uh, urban legends, and it's a very popular show uh, in terms of the number of downloads that we've got. And people are really interested in right. hearing those types of stories, maybe because they're a little bit more sensational than the true reports a lot of the times. But 
to be able to have a true haunting that developed into an urban legend is a, a, both a rarity and it's very nice right. uh, to be able to have that be based in some sort of fact because now at least you know that 20 years from now when it's blown totally out of proportion and kids are telling each other on the schoolyard, you can say, well, there is some truth to that and be able to bring it back uh, on a historical basis, whereas you know most of the time it's there is no truth. It's just made up. And I think that the hitchhiker legend in general is probably the strongest uh, urban legend that there is. I mean, we have, you know, all the classic ones of the man with the hook and, and the pop rocks and, and things like that. But when Harold Brunvard, who's probably um, the, the foremost authority on urban legends, when he kind of made that transformation from a, you know, folklorist to an urban legend specialist, that was the first story that he kind of attached himself to and kind of did a lot of research on, which kind of just shows you its its popularity and the fact that it's, um you know, road... Uh, urban legends and and paths and things like that have been common motifs in folklore for years, and we've Americanized it with the car and the hitchhiker, and it's kind of, you know, probably the strongest and the most common one in, in your local neighborhood. There is a ghost hitchhiker somewhere. And if you go back into just early, early reports, you know, there was always the general sense of, you know, don't stray off the road, right. that uh, you're safe as long as you stay on the road, and anything off to the side is sinister. Uh, I mean, if you read Frankenstein, Dracula, those books, it's it's a similar theme that happens. Little Red Riding Hood. Exactly. You know, stay on the path. And it's kind of like a metaphor for life. You know, stay on the path, stay on the straight and narrow. But I think that, like you said, as we've developed cars and we've right. still been able to attach a lot of that to the same roads, but it seems to be a particular type of road. I mean, let's face it, Route 44 out there in the dark on a right. Saturday night, it's spooky. And I think it's those type of roads that draw that kind of uh, – activity around it. I actually was speaking with Alan Alves, who, uh, aside from being a, a, an authority on uh, occult activity and a, a former detective in Freetown, is currently a hypnotherapist. And he talked about the difference between your, your conscious mind and your subconscious mind, and how oftentimes when you're driving, especially if you're driving a long distance, you get to, your lo- you, you know, to where you're going to, and you're like, I have no idea how I got here. And what happens is your subconscious mind has kicked in, and it's kind of taken over your conscious mind, and now you're um, going on autopilot because you know the path, you've been there a hundred times, and so you don't need to think about it, so your subconscious mind kicks in. Well, that subconscious mind is also the controller of, A, your imagination, so maybe you're more, excuse me, more likely to imagine things, but B, you're also kind of opening up your consciousness to paranormal things that can happen. So either if it's, if it's either real or not real, both ways you're opening yourself up in those dark and lonely roads that kind of stretch on forever. And speaking of dark and lonely roads, we have uh, another live report coming in from the field. Matt, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, where are you now? Jade Factory Pond. Oh, still? Yeah, I, we just got there. Oh, okay. It is a very, very spooky night out. The <laughs> fog out tonight is unreal, especially where we're at out here in the uh, Seekonk Swansea area. The humidity level after being so warm today, mm-hmm. the low-lying fog is all over the place, and trying to navigate out in these backcountry roads, as you know, can be a little tricky in the dark. And also, that's going to mess with your photographic evidence as well a little bit, too. Yes, it is. So I guess you're going to need to get a full-on apparition, then. Uh, or something. <laughs> Matt, if I can ask, are you at the ruins, or are you uh, across the pond viewing the ruins? I am. Um, we're right at the waterfalls. Okay, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, uh, you know where Water Street is, the waterfalls? No. Nope. The opposite. Uh, you could. Um, 
I mean, are you planning to go to the actual ruins themselves? Is that your destination? I am actually there as we speak. Okay. The majority... You know the, the mill has the waterfall right there? Okay. Yeah, right the, next to the road. The majority of the hauntings have, uh, um, have happened. People have seen uh, things at the, the ruins, but they've been at a distance away. So I'm excited now to hear about someone that's actually at the ruins and whether they experience something, whether they get uh, close up. What I see here is there isn't really much left in terms of ruins. Right. Um, How, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's uh, pretty foggy out here. Trying to see anything is going to be uh, a bit interesting. How is uh, how's Billy holding up? Uh, so far, he's walking around with a flashlight, checking things out. Don't jump out of the trees at him, okay? He's new <laughs> no, to this. I would do, I would do that to him. Okay, well, so now your plan is to uh, to poke around there for a few minutes and see if uh, see if anything can come about. Yep, I'm gonna try a couple of uh, EVP stuff, a couple of quick photographs, and given the time schedule, we got to get moving on to the next site. Uh, like I said, navigation out tonight is a little difficult given all of the uh, fog that is everywhere. We got a rock. Well, we have uh, we have ten fifty two here in the spooky studio. So uh, at eleven we'll break for the news, and then uh, that'll give you until eleven oh six to be able to get to your next destination. You know, uh, if you're headed to Palmer Burial Ground or the Rehoboth Village Cemetery next, uh, we are going to be hitting uh, the burial ground. Yes, Palmer. Okay. Well, then uh, what we'll do is we'll let you do your EVP work there, and then uh, what we'll do is. Uh, on the other side of the news, uh, you can just connect right with us. We're going to, as I was telling the listeners earlier, we're just going to put the week and weird on hold this week to make sure that we can get an ample amount of time to to have this investigation conducted. So, uh, you know, no need to rush. I mean, we can go all night if we have to. I'm sure our listeners would love that, too. <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll check back in with you in a little while. You got it. All right. Take care. Bye. So uh, so what exactly are these uh, these ruins? I mean, is it is it just totally... Laid to waste now, or is it you know still? It's a stone foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I was there '96, so I was there almost 10 years ago. So I don't know what they might look like now. Yeah, probably even less probably, now than right. then. Um, although, I mean, you know, 10 years in the span of 100 years isn't isn't that much. But um, it was basically, you know, it just looked like there was something there mm-hmm. once. I mean, there's no beams or anything like that. There's no uh, telltale signs of the other floors. It's, it's when I saw it, it was just the foundation. So, but so. even that enough uh, will work to contain some of the the paranormal energy that's in there. I mean, it's right because people have seen the whole building on fire. They've kind of uh, you know suffered a, a either a time slip or have observed a, a psychic recording, and they've seen the entire building um, as if it were the day that the fire happened. And it's almost like as long as that foundation's still there too, uh, anything that would be contained there can be contained in that area. If they were to remove all the stones and just have you know flat open ground, then. You know, you'd think maybe that energy could dissipate out. So, right, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I, I'm upset a little bit about the fog. I mean, I, I know right. that that's gonna just just because I know it's gonna cause trouble for the guys while they're out there. But uh, I've never been there where there hasn't been fog, regardless really? of the temperature. There just seems to be kind of a natural fog that finds its way over to Rehoboth sometimes. That, you know, there's a lot of areas that do have that. Uh, the place where I live uh, in Wareham, there's just a constant fog every time coming off just this bog area. And so, and it's also reputed to be haunted. There was a factory there that uh, apparently burned down and or blew up actually, and a number of people died. So, well, maybe it's just associated with that site. You know, maybe it's. 
Right, and oddly enough, um, in Woburn, where I am, I mean, you don't experience it where where I am, but where my sister is, which is probably about five ten minutes from me, same kind of thing. Oddly enough, bogs there, and uh, and there's just immense fog. You know, especially when we go over there, and it's perfect weather where we are. We get there, and there's just this kind of fog that kind of. It, it was really crazy. Broad daylight the other day. I was leaving the house, and just in broad daylight, and it was pretty warm, and I couldn't really consider the the climate factors. But just all of a sudden, there was just this intensely thick fog coming off the bog, so much so that I thought something was on fire. I, um, I'm actually starting to kind of make these connections, which is a lot of what I do is, is kind of find connections between the hauntings that I hear. So not just record the haunting and here's what a person experienced, but where, what did someone else experience in another town. And I'm starting to get a lot of reports, or at least connecting a lot of reports, of paranormal happenings very close to Cranberry Bogs. There is. I mean, in, in our town, in, in Wareham, I've read up, uh, Edward Lodi's written quite a number of books about some of these hauntings, and there are uh, stories of the, you know, the bog owner who made the migrant workers stay out and work in the cold, and they froze to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, equipment malfunctions, and somebody ends up getting hacked up. Uh, there's a lot of these stories that are out there, and, you know, I guess because of the nature of the profession in the early days, it was a lot of, you know, immigrant workers that were looking for a quick wage and a good wage and, you know, uh, bog owners that would exploit that to, to help their production because at a time this was the only place where you could get cranberries. Right. So they were meeting the demand for the entire world. And, and so I think that kind of created the atmosphere where the, the downtrodden worker – uh, might be seeking to get revenge if something happens. So, and there's a lot of the the residents now uh, in Woburn, especially the actual shacks uh, and cottages that the people who work there um, lived in are still up, and people are now have now expanded it or put addition onto it. So a lot of these places are actually even st- around the bogs are actually still the houses are at least on the land the, uh, of the houses where the houses kind of originally stood. So if you can imagine what was happening out in the field, imagine coming home and the kind of uh, negative emotions that might be associated with, with you know, um, just what the, what they were experiencing on the field and kind of bring just, it yeah, home. just that lifestyle, right? And we talk about all the time, you know, the as you're driving by a cranberry bog at night and you look out across the bog and you know, like we say, always foggy, and you can almost just if you squint your eyes, almost you can see everybody out there working. And in some cases, in some still active bogs, they are out there working because of the nature of the business and when they have to harvest. And if there's a frost coming, you'll see all hands on deck and everybody gets out there. And, you know, that type of, uh, just that type of work environment probably, you know, bared a lot on their soul. Right. So uh, we're coming up on the news, aren't we, Silent Assassin? About how long, uh, do, do we want to run some commercials beforehand or what do you think? You're the boss, man. It's all up to you. Uh, I'm just a talent. Executive I'm just here to look pretty. Oh, yeah, the, the executive <laughs> producer title comes into play. All right, well, why don't we take a couple minutes of commercials, and then we'll talk to you on the other side here on Spooky South Coast. I'm knitting myself a hat. And I'm sewing up a head to wear it on. I'm making myself some mittens And I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside I'm knitting myself a sweater To cover the body I'm wearing Knitting! 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 
knitting, 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 knitting. You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. Spooky South Coast, hour number two, here on what we can call the Haunted Tour of Route 44. How's that sound? Sounds good. Jinglish. Sounds like something John would come up with. Actually. It does. Well, we'll get sounds in. very John friendly. In a second, we'll get into something that John has come up with. It's very interesting, and you're going to want to mark your calendars uh, appropriately because this is uh, an incredible experience that he is putting together. But we'll get to that in a moment. We just want to explain to the listeners who might just be joining us here in hour number two of what's going on tonight. We have here in the spooky studio. Uh, myself, Tim Weisberg, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and Christopher Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. Check out his site at masscrossroads.com. And out in the field, we have driving around, uh, I guess, what we're calling it the Bridgewater Triangle area, even though they're probably on the, the cusp of the official triangle. But we, we have uh, science advisor Matt Moniz, John Horgan of the Mass Monster Mash Conference, and Billy Baker of the Boston Weekly Dig newspaper, who is... Uh, I guess chronicling the investigation for, for a piece he's writing and uh, at the same time uh, trying to be the, the skeptical voice in the car uh, as they're driving around and checking out some of these haunted locations, supposedly, allegedly haunted, haunted locations, uh, where we have heard many reports and, of course, Chris has heard numerous reports uh, on his website. But uh, as I was saying before, John Horgan is just the master planner uh, yes. when it comes to not only putting together something like tonight's tour, but also a tour he has coming up, and he's giving us the exclusive here tonight. It is called the Mass Mystery Tour, and it will set off on Saturday, September 15th, 2007. And that actually marks the 40th anniversary of the end of the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour. But this is the Massachusetts Mystery Tour, the Mass Mystery Tour. Now, the Beatles, uh, they had their set off from Taunton, England, and John's uh, arranged for it to take off from Taunton, Massachusetts, from the dog track there. And uh, what they're going to do is they're going to put 33 people on a bus. They're going to go out and visit some of these locations. And uh, he's got some other stuff in the works as well. It sounds just incredibly, incredibly interesting. We're going to try to get out there as well, hopefully. You know, when you're really going to select 33 people to do something and you invite the spooky crew to be part of that 33, I mean, that's just that's an honor. And it's probably not the wisest decision on Jones' part either. There's way better people he could put on that bus than us. Yeah, you wouldn't be my first choice. Absolutely not. No, why? Why? You know what we can do? We can uh, we, we can ride on the top, like on the <laughs> luggage rack. And that will save room for the people who will be able to get out there and experience the mass mystery tour themselves. So stay tuned uh, to Spooky South Coast. We'll have more information. We'll have John on uh, 
with plenty of time to go so that people can make a plan. And also, on Saturday, October 13th, 2007, that is going to be the second edition of the Mass Monster Mash Conference, which, you know, Chris, you were there, and, and just how just how did it all come together? How, how did it play out with everybody? I've just heard plenty yeah, of positive reports. I think it was, I think it was a really good night because you had, you know, three speakers who were approaching things from very different angles. Um, you had um, Tom D'Agostino, uh, who wrote Haunted Rhode Island there, and he was He'll, he'll of, be coming on with us next month here on Spooky Oh, really? Southwest. Good, yeah. good. He's a good guy. Um, he was there, and, and, and Jeff was kind of just, Jeff Ballinger was kind of just kind of walking around, enjoying things, and you could really see that there was a paranormal community that was kind of, even though it was in Watertown, which is nowhere near the Bridgewater Triangle, it was it was this community of people and a community of people that wanted to know about it as well. So it was, it was a really uh, fun evening. And, and definitely, from what I've heard, too, a lot of John's enthusiasm carried through to the entire event. Uh, and that's he really got people that might have been, you know, kind of on the fence about this, really uh, intrigued in it. And I've I've gotten a couple of emails from people who went, and they said that just to be able to go and not only hear the speakers, but as you said, to be able to meet some of these other people that are involved in it. Right. And I mean, we we sent Matt Moniz up there, which probably scared a lot of people yeah, away. Uh, but Matt was there as well, yeah. And that does that does happen. But uh, I know that next year, uh, Matt will be there again, and and Matt Costa and myself are going to try to get up there too. Maybe we can broadcast live out of there. Because it's such an opportunity to just so many people walking around, grab somebody, you know, right. oh, hey, you know, and sit down and talk to us for a few minutes because that is the one thing that's lacking here. You know, we talk about building a paranormal research community around here, and the one thing that's lacking is a chance for everybody to get together. Right. And I think John's really come up with a way for that to happen. I mean, it was almost like a, a, a southeastern Massachusetts, Rhode Island convention. I mean, you had, like I said, Tom was there, and, and Tom's kind of the – uh, of of Rhode Island, I mean, he's the person to talk to about it, and and Chris Pittman and I were there, and and Matt Moniz was there, and and it was just really kind of the first time all these people who kind of specialized in a certain area, and you know, people who are considered authorities on that area, were all kind of together in a room, and there was probably more information that was passing hands, you know, when the speakers weren't talking, uh, than there was when they were talking. Like a lot of us. Just start exchanging information and making plans for things, and so it was. It was exciting that way. And it just and just the growth uh, in the research and the investigations that that's going to foster is is probably the the best gift that John's right. given everybody. And Aaron really has um, that trailer nailed down for for his new uh, for his new feature. I mean, it really looks uh, like something that's going to hit big, and I'm excited he, to see. He it showed when the it trailer comes for out. it. He showed the trailer for the for the one in the King Philip's War, and and not only the production of it, but just the subject matter was. No, I, I think people were very impressed by it. I know I was, and I was kind of itching to get the uh, the first cuts of it as it was as it was as he's finishing editing it. So, and is this something that he's planning on uh, a major release, or is it another, you know, like a community television project again? Or I think it's I think it's he's doing it for major release. I know that he ran into some copyright problems, um, and so that's kind of what stopped uh, inside the Bridgewater Triangle from catching on. Um, but I think that he knows that ahead of time that this is going to be a big production for him, and so he's. So I think you know he's he's, probably, I think already uh, signed up to do some, um, some uh, uh, local um, film film festivals and things like that. So I think, you know, not major major release, but I think this is going to be another well, one. If, if he puts the same kind of effort and the same kind of uh, you know attention to detail and research they put into the inside the Bridgewater Triangle, I mean, this will 
locally and then hopefully stretch out from there be a big thing. So, oh, it, it, But it is major, though, because nothing has really been done on King no. Philip's War at all. So the fact that he's getting the information out there, and is it is it similar to the, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle uh, piece where it's just a straight documentary? Yeah, and it seems like he's taking in perspectives from uh, different people. So uh, I noticed just from the trailer he had Native Americans. He had a lot of uh, historians on. Uh, um, it seemed like he had more recent people who – I don't think there's as much of a paranormal twist to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's more kind of well, as there, there documenting There this. shouldn't really be. Right. You know, it, The story needs to be told and it needs to be told uh, right with all sides involved. So Right. So, I mean, it really I – mean, he seems to have taken in information from all different types of res, uh, resources and kind of put them together. So I'm, I'm interested to see kind of the narrative line he has for it. And if anybody would like to see uh, his uh, his first film, Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, it's just incredible. Um, what you can do is email me, email tim at spookysouthcoast.com. And when we get enough of these emails together, I'll forward them on to, to Aaron Cash and say, listen, we have to have a, a showing somewhere of this. And uh, whether it be maybe at UMass Dartmouth or or uh, Bridgewater State Call, we'll find a venue that'll allow us to show this video because I know that he ran into some copyright problems with right. the music that he used in that. And with today's technology, and I'm sure Aaron's got it, we can find ways around that. And then if we get 40, 50 people together to see the movie and everybody keeps their mouth shut, who cares, right? The odd thing is is that <clears throat> I teach high school now, and um, it's making the rounds in my high school. Kids are constantly coming up to me, hey, can I borrow that tonight? Can I, can I borrow, take that over the weekend? And, you know, I like to kind of foster any interest in the paranormal that, that anyone might have. And so I haven't seen it in probably about a month and a half uh, because all my students want to see it. And they, I actually showed it in one of my classes for uh, a project we were working on, and they're absolutely loving it. So I mean, it has a, a wide appeal to it. That's the question I get asked is, it's, can you burn me a copy? And I say, no. <laughs> no, this is limited release, man. Right. So we have the, the VIP line ringing. So we are about to get another field report. Uh, Matt, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay. All right. Whereabouts are you guys now? We're at the cemetery. At the uh, Rehoboth Village Cemetery? Yes. And uh, what are some of the things that have been coming out of that? What are some of the reports coming out of that cemetery? Uh, This cemetery is a report of a small boy that has been... Oh, sorry. Wrong cemetery. It's it's live radio, Matt. Don't worry about it. (laughs) This cemetery is a report of an old man crying over a... A lost loved one, uh, Kathleen or Catherine, uh, has been supposedly uh, the name that he keeps repeating to people as they walk by. And so you're definitely going to try and get some uh, some EVP work while you're out there? I'm going to give it a shot. What's interesting about that ghost is it's been seen uh, at night and during the day yes. as well. So it's kind of like an added little twist kind of puts a little bit more credibility because you can kind of invent things in your mind when you're in a cemetery late at night, especially if you're doing research. But when you're there uh, and you're there specifically for a reason to mourn someone or, or to actually see something is a lot more um, unnerving. And, and now what is, uh, what's the situation down there? Is it uh, more of the same fog or is it? Yeah, I mean, it, I've never seen it this foggy around here. Well, I have, but yeah, it's... <laughs> It just seems rather eerie tonight because it's making navigation around here rather cumbersome. Missing turns, trying to find street signs because it's some spots, because it's in low-lying area out here, it's almost in whiteout conditions. So right. traveling out here is a little hard to negotiate. And and so far, uh, I mean, has, has anything strange occurred while you're out there in terms of? Nothing paranormal, just mm-hmm. uh, just trying to find where we're going to. 
Matt, if I can ask, is that the smaller of the two cemeteries? I believe it is, yes. Okay. Um, one of the things I would watch for in investigating that is you might think you're, you're catching a glimpse of something, but especially today being uh, Memorial Day, um, or I'm sorry, Veterans Day, there are a lot of small little, almost like uh, eternal candles mm-hmm. burnt, uh, right. uh, burning. So just kind of watch out for that for the investigation um, that you have. I've actually been there three times uh, investigating, um, and one of the times we were there, uh, the person I was with uh, felt a tugging at their ankles, and they actually felt someone grabbing their ankles. Another time we chased these lights for a good five minutes before we realized, oh, it's a candle burning. So I have these little kind of like hutches with with candles. Now, how old are some of the graves in the cemetery? Uh, Some of them look like they go well well back into the 1800s, and and some go back into the uh, 1700s. Because now, Matt, you can uh, attest to this when we were investigating uh, at the Ellis Bowl Cemetery. There were a lot of those candles, you know, that would catch our eye every now and then, or maybe a a mylar balloon reflecting off off a flashlight or a camera flash. And these are graves that are, you know, 150 years old, that people are still, you know, laying tribute to them. And, and you don't expect to find that in the older graves, but sometimes, like you said, it does just throw you off. True. True. Very true. I've also had um, two or three times in that cemetery my tape recorder go off. Um, it's not a voice-activated one. It was one that I just kind of kept running. It was before I had a digital. So one was kind of one of those classic college uh, mini tape recorders, mm-hmm. and another one was a much bigger one, kind of from the the 1970s, it seems, and both of them uh, went off. Uh, I put them on, and then five minutes later when I went there, it shut off completely. So I hope those extra batteries I gave you work, Matt. Well, I'm going to go put them to use right now. <laughs> yeah, he's. I gave him the uh, the digital recorder that I use for a lot of my sports stuff. So, you know, maybe if he presses the wrong button while they're out there, all of a sudden, like, they'll hear the voice of Ty Warren filling up the cemetery. <laughs> if you hear Tom Brady, that's not, he's not dead. That's just. Okay. Okay. All right, so check back in with us, uh, and uh, definitely, if anything weird goes on, uh, give us a call. You got it. All right, stay safe. Yep. Bye. I mean, it's just uh, to to be able to, you know, tie in so many of these locations, to be able to, uh, you know, I guess to visit them all along a path, uh, all along a route in one night, and you kind of start to get this sense of, gee, you know, there really is something going on. What you call the Curse County. Right. I mean, there just really is something around this area that's just psychically charged. I think it's, it's one of the, like I said, it's the first place that I went to. All the places that he's going to, that they're going to tonight, I, we went on our first trip there. Um, we did the same thing um, a few years later, and uh, I've had investigators say, what's a, what's a good place to investigate? Or we're going into southeastern Massachusetts for to look at for the red uh, hitchhiker. Usually, is what kind of sparks them coming here. What else do you know of? And it's like, hey, I, I feel like I should make like a little paranormal map for people and kind of put it on my website because so many people want to know what else is in the area, and they are. You can just kind of, especially if you're on 44, there's there's four or five places just right on 44 that are that are haunted and, and that are kind of frequented by people. And and if you've experienced any of these hauntings uh, along Route 44 or elsewhere. Then give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And really, just anything paranormal that's ever happened or, or maybe questions you have. Maybe uh, maybe you've heard a story uh, of some sort of alleged haunting going on and you're not sure if it's urban legend or if there's actually some truth to it. You know, Tonight's the night to call in. Chris is the guy who can uh, tell you if there's any, any truth to what you've been hearing. So again, 508-996-0500. 508 291 we'll take a quick break, Matt. 
Sure. Okay, let's take a take a break. What do we do when we take the break, Matt? What, what are we doing? Pay. While we're in break? Yeah, no. What? Do, what why do we take breaks? Pay the bills. Yeah, you like to say that one, so I was throwing it out there for you. All right, we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Alive. It's alive. It's alive! It is alive, and we've created a monster. A monster called Spooky South Coast. Welcome back. Tim Weisberg here. The silent assassin, Matt Costa, as well, with Christopher Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads in studio. And out in the car, we have science advisor Matt Moniz and John Horrigan. Uh, they are out there tracking down, hopefully tracking down the mysterious red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44 while they're stopping at some other uh, allegedly haunted sites along the way. And so far, they have been to the Shade Factory. They have been to the Rehoboth Village Cemetery, and they have some other stops in mind coming up. And we're we're going to stick around uh, if need be uh, until maybe even past midnight, if uh, if they start getting out into some of these places and some stuff starts happening. I know that the fog out there is kind of impeding things a little bit, so uh, you'll have to bear with them in, in that regard. It's taking them a little bit longer to get to some locations than they thought. But in the meantime, you can chime in with us, uh, some of your thoughts, theories, questions, and experiences dealing with the paranormal, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And as I said, you know, I, I said that we weren't going to do a week in weird this week because, you know, we kind of wanted to uh, leave, you know, leave time open so that if anything does happen while they're out in the field, we don't want them to, to have to feel like they're going to wait for us to finish a certain segment or anything. But one of the things that I did want to bring up was the... Uh, the episode of Ghost Hunters this week where they reviewed the footage from their big uh, overnight investigation of the Stanley Hotel and definitely some interesting evidence that they captured. Uh, I, I mean, in particular, the in the employee passageway underneath when they heard some voices. I don't know if you had a chance to, to catch it, Chris. It, they, they caught some voices out, you know, being spoken out loud. It was a female voice, you know, saying hello, you know, calling out to Jason and Grant. And uh, it seemed like it was laughing at them at points. It seemed like it was, you know, interacting with them. And they couldn't really, you know, find any reasoning behind it. Uh, it the whole place just had a, seemed to have a vibe to it. When you were watching it live, it was kind of, you know, there were some mundane points. And, and that's what they were actually trying to get across. You know, when you're out on an investigation, it's, it's not all moving chairs and, and uh, you know, hairs in the back of your neck standing up. A lot of it is spent uh, just wandering around and, and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, uh, and the story that I wrote for the paper when we talked with, with Steve Gonsalves, he said the important thing is when you go in is to get an idea of the place and start debunking things right away. Then you can get into the the actual paranormal stuff. And luckily at the Stanley, they'd already done a lot of debunking the first time they were there. But while they were out there, I mean, just little bits and pieces of things that when it first happened on the live broadcast, you're like, eh, you know. That could be something it could not be, but by the time they package it all together and they can put it together, you can start to see this pattern of things happening. And it was definitely very interesting. So just you know, a job well done to our friends from TAPS for that. And uh, you know, we, um, we'd really like to see them do an overnight investigation of uh, Waverly Hills maybe for next Halloween or, or uh, Eastern States Penitentiary. I mean, that would be the ultimate, but those might not be conducive to uh, – they're kind of open and cold places to do on Halloween nights. So – 
But uh, I know Matt Moniz would be more than willing to help them out in that regard because he's he's itching to get back to Waverly Hills. And uh, if you caught that episode of Ghost Hunters, you want to talk a little bit about it or, or any of these other paranormal programs, just uh, hop on the phones and give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And now, while they're out there, Chris, uh, out along Route 44 and some of these other stops, mm-hmm. are there anything, uh, any reports coming out of that area that are kind of... You know, not really centralized to any one location. Like, uh, I know that there's been reports of, uh, you know, Thunderbirds being seen and mysterious, you know, cryptozoological creatures being seen. Uh, is there reports that they might not be focusing on that are just throughout the entire region? Um, I haven't had anything kind of specifically from Rehoboth um, of anything kind of not uh, not ghostly or not, you know, kind of localized into one area. I do know in some of the surrounding areas there's things. Uh, I'm not all that familiar with them because they kind of fall more into the uh, the area of uh, UFO research and cryptozoological uh, studies, and I know that uh, there are some other people that do that a lot better than me. <laughs> but but um, but I mean I know that you know overall um, you know UFOs are constantly seen in that area. I know that the I'm pretty sure that the UFO that was seen by uh, President Reagan um, actually was traveling from uh, the Freetown area and going towards Rehoboth. So um, I'm, I'm not, not quite I'm sure. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that story. Um, what happened was is that uh, this is the story that I got mm-hmm. from a few different people, um, and they actually even mentioned it uh, when he uh, passed away uh, a few years ago, was that he was in this area traveling on Air Force One, and there were reports of an unidentified flying object, and supposedly he actually had Air Force One track it for a while. Wow. And it was seen over um, over Fall River and Freetown. And then as they tracked it, I was told that it went towards, you know, took kind of a, uh, an approach towards the Rehoboth area. So I know other people have kind of said in a general sense that they've had UFOs there and, and things like that. I, I have actually had reports out of Rehoboth of a large snake as well. Wow. Um, which I've kind of never really kind of followed up on because yeah, some of the other things the person told me were kind of interesting that I kind of tracked those down a little more. But one of them was a snake that... Her father had seen and her grandfather had seen kind of all the this, this, this same kind of thing. So it was kind of passed down from the generations and the snake was still there. And it's interesting you mentioned President Reagan and the UFO sighting because uh, President Clinton uh, made a couple of visits here both to Fall River and New Bedford in the past. And, you know, uh, from what I understand from the front page of all the uh, the Weekly World News and the Inquirer and everything, he's really good friends with the space aliens. They always yeah. have photos of him, like, shaking hands with them and stuff. <laughs> Speaking of people from outer space, I think we uh, have another report coming in from Matt Moniz out in the field. Hello, Matt. Thanks, guys. Hey, no, <laughs> nobody can introduce you like I can. <laughs> so uh, wh- whereabouts are you guys now? Uh, we're at Bad Luck Pond. Bad Luck Pond. And and uh, what are some of the stories surrounding that location? Uh, there's been uh, apparitions been sighted at this pond. If you want, I'll read you the uh, placard that's right here at the pond. That would be awesome if you could do that for us. All right. It is placard. Says Bad Luck Pond. Says the name Bad Luck, origin unknown, has been associated with this area since the early 1700s. The Beverly and Telton families operated a water powered sawmill for many years on the north side of the pond, beginning in the early 18th century. Bad Luck Pond, as it exists today, was formed by the construction of a dam across Bad Luck Pond Brook on the far side of the pond in the 19th. In 1911, on this site of an earlier dam built in 1838. Through neglect in the earlier years, 
the dam had deteriorated and washed away with a roar on June 2nd, 1859. The rushing of flooding waters destroyed bridges in Rehoboth and crushed part of the cotton mill in Rehoboth Village. And at the dam, sorry, part of the sign is obscured by bullet holes, <laughs> and seeing that the dam was about to wash away, mounted his horse and rushed ahead of the flood, warning the residents of the danger. So there were no injuries presently. The pond, in conjunction with the Shad Factory Reservoir in South Rehoboth, supplies water to the Bristol and Warren uh, uh, Rhode Island water system. And now, what's the feeling that you're getting out there personally? I mean, does it seem, uh, I mean, for a place called Bad Luck, what are you feeling? Not too lucky out here because it's right on a corner of a road that uh, is very fog-covered, as is everything out here tonight. Um, very cold and nippy. It is a kind of an ominous feeling. It's a very big pond from what I can see of it. Uh, very placid water at the moment. Um, well, and as you, you've you mentioned to the listeners many times, that uh, what a strong conductor of paranormal energy that water can be. Well, I also noticed something else throughout this whole area, especially crossing across three of these sites that we've come across, are major power lines, all going right by waterfalls and standing water areas. That, in conjunction with the large amounts of granite deposit in this area, yeah, you have one big supercell as far as uh, potential electricity. And, and if you have a lot of uh, geologic activity, you'll form what's known as a piezoelectric effect. And, and is that, but that kind of energy doesn't really take on any characteristic of, of uh, positive or negative in terms of emotional feel. Uh, uh, no, uh, they've actually done studies and found that certain types of electromagnetic fields can affect a person's state of uh, emotion. So, and you think maybe, I mean, just speculation here and not a lot of research yet to, to be able to back it up, but do you think that that might be a a major factor as to why that might be considered a, a bad luck area? It could be. I mean, you're, you're dealing with uh, obviously a the physiological power effect. Really. Mm -hmm. It's a physiological effect being uh, perpetrated upon the body, you know, by a natural process. And uh, speaking of physiological effects on the body, how's everybody else holding up? Uh, everybody else is doing pretty well. Look, Billy seems to be doing fine. John is a trooper, as always. He's been in the trenches as long as I have. So We were saying that while you guys were en route, is saying you know you couldn't get two people that are more seasoned investigators, but that it's good that Billy's there to, to, to bring the skeptical voice along as well. Well, Billy, well, I wouldn't call him a skeptic, but I would definitely mm -hmm. call him skeptical, as most reporters are, just like yourself. Yeah, he's going to need to have something really concrete to be able to report it you know, in a story, so... He he's not just uh, just feelings and and you know I think something just touched my leg. That's not going to cut it with him. He's going to want something more substantial. So, oh, he's definitely had a few creeped out feelings here and there. <laughs> well, we'll Especially see. at the cemetery. Well, well, we'll see what else you can scare up from along the way. All right, all right. It was just uh, keep checking in with us and and just make sure that you keep driving safely. Yeah, we're going to have to. We're sorry about going so slow, but like I said, better go slow and arrive there and then take a chance. Exactly. We, we want you to uh, investigate the paranormal, not become the paranormal yourself. So. <laughs> exactly. All right, take it slow. All right. Bye. That is Matt Moniz out in the field, and uh, he is with John Horrigan.
and he's also with Billy Baker, the reporter from the Boston Weekly Dig. So they're out there. They're seeing if they can uh, maybe catch any activity. I mean, part of the the problem, too, is when you're going on this tour and you're trying to hit all these sites, which is, you know, excellent for our listeners uh, who might not be familiar with this with this area. But uh, when you're really doing an investigation, you want to spend time at each of these sites. And I think, you know, maybe as time progresses uh, in, in the future, we can focus on each one of these individual sites in future editions. But for right now, we're just trying to give everybody an overview of what's going on. And, of course, Chris, your site can really fill people in more, too, on on more reports from this. Uh, how often is it that, on in terms of the southeast of Massachusetts area, that you get a new haunting that you haven't already heard about this location? Wow. Um, not that often. It's a lot of uh, reinforcement of ones that I've already kind of heard about, or it's a new angle or it's a new twist. Uh, when I hear a new one, that's when I'm excited, and that's when I want to go out there and I want to talk to the person and I want to – visit the site myself um but a lot of the times it's just kind of the same place is popping up again or, or someone just going hey just want to tell you i experienced this one thing there I've, i read on your site that people have these experiences here's what i experienced so when i get a new one uh that's a really exciting time for me i like to go out there and, and how much of that is somebody read about it on your site and they said gee i'm going to go out there and see if i can have anything paranormal happen to me a lot of it is uh, spread by word of mouth within the town. A lot of people are sharing kind of what they experience with, with other people and, and kind of, you know, legends are kind of developing around them or just even, you know, popular culture around around certain places. Anawan Rock is a great example of that. That becomes like the place for people in town when they want to go out and investigate. They, you know, they start seeing all these other people investigating. They want to go out there themselves and... And then they come back to me with something that they've kind of discovered themselves, and, discovered and while they've been out there. That is, yeah, that is going to be a great, uh, great amount of the reports is from people that are out investigating the paranormal. But let's not forget these locations have more significance to them than just the paranormal activity that surrounds them. They're important historical sites, right. and uh, in terms of you know things like cemeteries, are you know important to the people whose families are there. Uh, it's not like. They only exist for the purposes of. It's not like right. a paranormal training ground, you know. Right, and right. It, it's it's uh, alive with activity all the time. So, the the really intriguing reports must be from the people that aren't out there looking for it, that are just there visiting otherwise, or, you know, like when you can see a a full body apparition in full daylight while you're visiting the grave of a loved one. Right, and that's those are the uh, reports that I put much more weight into when it's someone who hasn't been looking for it, doesn't necessarily want it to happen to them, doesn't know how to explain it doesn't know the, uh, the the buzzwords to use when, when communicating the story to me, uh, that's when I put, uh, well, wait a minute, this is someone that I really need to listen to a lot more if you're judging the credibility of your witness. If someone comes to me and they said, I saw an orb and I got an EVP and I, I still want to listen to those, but it's kind of like, okay, well, you were kind of looking for something. So mm-hmm. things might become what you want them to, to be. But if it's someone who said, you know, I was um, – I was, you know, on the side of the road, and this is what I said. I looked into the cemetery, and I saw this little girl uh, playing around in there. Um, and then, as I looked, she kind of disappeared. Those are the ones that I that I really kind of I want to attach myself to and kind of get more information on. And it's interesting how you said both the two buzzwords that I always look for too: orb and EVP. Right. It seems like whenever we get an email from somebody that's like, "Gee, I think I, I live in a haunted house," or I think, uh, you know, I've had an experience and it's like, well, I took a picture and I caught an orb. I don't really know this much about the paranormal, but I think I might have an EVP that I captured. Right. It, it's, you know, part of it, too, is, you know, they're seeing this stuff on television and they're becoming more exposed to it. But once they start, you know, knowing some of the the lexicon, it's it's like you said, it's like they're looking for it. It's like whether or not they're actively conducting a full-scale investigation, uh, they still 
knew what it was that they were trying to to capture. So it, when you get somebody right. that says, I, I took a photograph and this weird ball of light showed up in the middle of it, it's like, well, let's check it out. Right, or this weird thing happened. What do you think it is rather than kind of presenting it with, here's an orb or here's a, you know, here's a weird fog. Because there's nothing kind of. worse, too, than what I've noticed is when somebody does that to you and they present that to you and, and you kind of discredit it to them and it's like, it's, it's that. And they get all offended. Right. You know, it's like, well, no, that's an orb. That's a good orb. Right, right. It's, 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 you know, all you have to say is, you know, what do you think it is? Kind of put it back on them and then kind of maybe, well, do you see how it might look this way or it's not solid here? Or, well, you can see how you can kind of see in the reflection you with the camera and the flash. You know, it, <laughs> you really try to present it as uh, – as diplomatically as, as possible. Well, we, were, uh, we were we were uh, doing a little research for the show tonight, uh, Matt Costa and myself, and we're looking at the computer, and there's a story about a, an angel that appeared in the sky over a state fair. I guess this guy's mother was riding in a Ferris wheel, and she's afraid of heights, and so he was taking a picture of her reaction while she was up at the top, and this little angel appeared like over her shoulder, and it was kind of like, oh, you know, the guardian angel protecting her from the heights, and it's getting a lot of play on the internet, but it's strange, because when we looked at the blown-up picture of it, it's like, it's a bug. <laughs> it, you can tell there's like, there's the, the actual, uh, if Moniz was here, he would know the actual terminology, but you know, the segmented body, right. and, and the wings, and then you can see like what looks like the antennae coming off the top of the head, so, I mean, I don't know, Matt, if you... Didn't see that as clearly as I did. But. Yeah, it was definitely a moth or something. Yeah, and and to, to it could be an angel moth though, so I don't really want to discredit anything. There was a Better great safe photo. Than sorry. There, right. there was a great photo years ago. Um, I can't remember if it was Jack Iden or another photographer uh, over at the Standard Times. They took a photo of the sky. I guess they were just trying to get like the sunlight breaking through, and they caught what looks like an angel in the clouds. And I know that photo got a lot of play. Now that I couldn't quite explain. I mean, yeah, it's 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 something that happened naturally, but uh, and it is just matrixing, looking at it and picking something out. But I mean, that looked like an angel. It didn't look like a moth. And this picture that's going around right now, I think it was an Associated Press story, and it, it is definitely very moth-like in its appearance. So hey, I got a very odd picture this week of um, I believe it was cemetery. I believe it's uh, Valen Cemetery in Wilton, New Hampshire, which is. You know, probably the scariest place that I've ever been to, and um, it is of all of these. It's a, a it's a photo in the dark, um, and it's just this explosion of rays, rays of light of some kind. It almost looks as if someone with um, you know light in their fingers just kind of sc- scraped completely down the photo, and the person can't explain it. And he's had pers- people look at it, and it's just one of those things where it's like, well, wait, what could this be? And I actually played with around around with it a little bit, and I found almost like a figure of a person that's not. The rays, like the rays, kind of are going around them. So it's, it's really weird the way the way photographs can kind of, uh, you know, bring out kind of that investigative eye of like, well, what is this? And sometimes I think we just look at them too much. Yeah, exactly. And so we, and, and so we kind of find that. Now you called this one of the scariest places you've ever been to. What exactly made it so? Was it just the, the general vibe? Or? Oh no, I mean we were attacked while really? we were there. Yeah, um, it's kind of, um, I guess to get off the topic of uh, of the redhead oh. hitchhiker, but to something much more solid. It, um, and I'm, I'm going to promote them now. Uh, if you go to hollowhill.com, uh, they were kind of the first people who um, who kind of brought this up. But there uh, there are several different ghosts there. One is the known as the Blue Lady, and this was basically I believe her name was Mary Ritter, and she died, and her husband married someone else named Mary, and he buried them together. Ooh. And this kind of angered her, so she supposedly walks to cemetery, and she's kind of you know it has this blue glow about her, and her her uh, headstone um, glows blue. Um, and then there's also an old man whose daughter was buried next to him 
were buried in kind of the family plot. And then after he died, the husband moved her to his family plot. Um, and so he walks the cemetery in the same way, kind of that Catherine thing, looking for uh, his daughter and reading the headstones and looking very disconcerting. And those are all well and good, but I've gotten, um, uh, we've talked about it before on the show, I've gotten Pugwudgie reports uh, from inside the cemetery. And um, and they're basically, the, again, Hollow Hill, going, deferring to Hollow Hill, they describe them as grovers, uh, evil grovers. And these people, have, they've been known to kind of attack people. And um, one person uh, kind of had a mysterious death right after they went there. And when I went, when, when my team kind of went and investigated, um, we were almost being followed, not followed, because they were asking, actually drawing us into the, into the wooded area of the cemetery with these little kind of quick flashes of light, almost like active orbs. Like usually you don't see orbs, you see them mm-hmm. with your photographs. These were actually a little bit ahead of us, like five feet ahead of us we'd walk, and then all of a sudden there'd be one five feet ahead of us, and we were walking further and further into the woods, which is kind of the M.O. of the, of the Pukwudgies, which has happened right before the attack. Uh, we were followed the entire time by this fog, uh, not the natural fog like they're encountering tonight, but one that actually moved with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, true to form to some other reports there, as we were leaving, um, one of our uh, one of the people in the group actually saw a, a dark figure rise from the ground and start to come towards us. Wow. Um, and <clears throat> although the, the next site they're going to is one of the places that I've run from, uh, after kind of having some familiarity with the paranormal, the only time I've ever kind of walked quickly out of an area was when I walked out of Vale's End, and I've heard a lot more reports of it since then. Well, that's, uh, hopefully the, they're not having similar circumstances out in the field tonight. Well, Matt, you with us? Hi, Matt. Yeah. Everything's safe and sound there, right? Yes, safe okay. and sound so far. It's a horn buying school now. Chris was relating to us a, a story of how he was recently attacked on an investigation, so we're hoping that you guys uh, don't run into any of that kind of stuff. I prefer not to have that ever happening to me again, <laughs> so I know how he feels. So uh, now you're at the school. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about uh, the location? Uh, the location is basically an old-fashioned one-room schoolhouse type of thing. Uh, it's all shuttered and boarded up. There's been reports of lights being seen inside it and uh, red little children, figures of little children running around inside and outside the building uh, at various odd hours of day and night. Um, the building was uh, used... Uh, all the way back, I believe, in as far as the uh, late 1800s. Uh, 1937, actually, was closed. Yeah, it was when it was closed, but it was opened in uh, 1840. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I'm looking at the, the placard right now. <laughs> He's cheating, too. <laughs> one-room schoolhouse built in, 18, in the 1840s, used by the town of Rovith until 1937 as extension of 14 feet at the rear was made in the 1920s during the Rehoboth. 325th anniversary in 1968. The school was restored and is dedicated to the preservation of the one-room school heritage of the town. It is open to the public on the second and fourth Sunday of each month during the summer by appointment. Admission is free. Hmm. I just had had something strange happen in my headphones for the second week in a row, by the way. Oh. Another one of these weird, uh, like what we got last week? Not the same as what we had last week. Last week we were in the studio and we're, we're, we're just in the process of doing the show. And we all heard, like, in our headphones, this strange, like, booming voice, but we couldn't quite make out what was said. And when we tried to review uh, the audio, it wasn't there. 
And then just now, I just was listening to you talk, Matt, and all of a sudden I heard this very like loud bass shake in my left ear. I don't know if anybody else experienced that too while we're sitting here. Well, no. we'll review the uh, the audio later and see if anything comes up. Well, I'm going to do some EVPs, and then we're going to head to Route 44 next. Okay, well, if you get any EVPs of like children laughing or anything like that, I don't want to hear them. Okay. Well, well, actually, we'll have to because we'll play them on the show. So, but I'll be sufficiently creeped out. All right. Take care, and we will uh, we'll talk to you when you're actually uh, on Route 44, and uh, check in with us from there. And we'll talk to you. And the, the hitchhiker's gonna have to stand a little bit closer to the road if he wants a ride tonight with all that fog. So. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. So yeah, the, uh, the just the the EVPs of children that always seems yeah. to get to me for some reason. Although it seems that you know that would be one of the more common uh, spirits. They seem to be the most unsettled. Um, the ones that I mean, there's really no good time for a child to pass, and so all of them kind of have unfinished business or unresolved issues. If you kind of go with that mythology, or even just the energy, kind of the the natural energy of child. And a lot of the reports too of, of child ghosts is um, not so much the tragedy associated with it either, but the fact that they don't really understand what has happened, and mm-hmm. and they don't realize they so they're still playing, they're still like right. living a child's life eternally, and so. I mean, that can be even creepier because you hear the the happy-go-lucky kids' voices. And right. I don't know. It just always seems to – maybe it's watching too many Poltergeist movies as a kid or something, but it just seems to – that song, too, creeps me out, that Poltergeist theme song. That's why – you know, we've actually tried – this is an interesting story. I mean, one we'll share with the listeners here, but uh, just a little bit behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, Matt – uh, Matt Costa, the Silent Assassin, produces you know all these bumpers and all these little audio things that you hear, all this really cool stuff. But when we started out, I tried to make a couple just you know to to hone up my ed- my editing skills, and I made one of like the Halloween theme song. I made one of the Twilight Zone, and I was trying for the longest time to make one of the Poltergeist theme song. You know the la la. la. I was trying to do, it, and every time I tried to download it, it wouldn't work. Like huh. it, it, I couldn't get it to download. Finally, I got it to download. And when I tried making the actual file, it kept giving me all kinds of problems. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to mess with this anymore. And and I deleted it off my computer, and I won't even search for it ever again. And The Poltergeist don't... curse lives on. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised because I've been a big proponent of that for years and, and talking about that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it extended now into digital editing. So. One of the uh, interesting stories about the Hornbine School, which is, again, in the New England Ghost Files, is of a woman who was a teacher actually going there and seeing a full class. Ooh. And so uh, she thought it was just, oh, wow, how quaint. Like, they actually still have class in this old schoolhouse, even though it looks at that time it hadn't been fully restored. It was kind of a, you know, still in semi-abandonment. And that sounds very much like a psychic recording, you know, when you first hear it, until you uh, read more on it and you find that the teacher actually interacted with the teacher of the of the schoolhouse. She kind of noticed her. It seemed very aggravated, according to Charles Robinson, that this woman would disturb her class. So the woman stepped out, and then when she went back in, boom, there was no class, no teacher. Definitely very creepy, but, I mean, that's... Uh, we've all had moments like that, I think, in our lives where, you know, uh, you kind of see something as it was for a brief second, uh, even if it wasn't. Right. And, I mean, that's got to be one of the, the stranger experiences that people experience every day, that they don't really... You know, a tribute to a haunting, they just attribute it as your eyes playing tricks or right. maybe just uh, your, you know, like a memory, 
more than anything else. And I think if people started to look at that a little bit more as a as a possible paranormal avenue, we'd have a lot more people calling in saying, "Oh, hey, I've experienced that." You know, right? You're most li- more likely to kind of push that aside as something, "Oh, my imagination," or "I, you know, I just kind of I'm tired," or or whatever, as opposed to if you see something and you interact with it. Yeah, to, like to one single person to be able to interact with it just changes everything. Right. So we are coming up on the news uh, for the 12 o'clock hour, and I think what we'll do is if uh, if everybody can can hang on here in the studio, I, th- I think we'll go into the 12 o'clock hour and we'll uh, continue the investigation out in the field with uh, Matt Moniz, John Horgan, and Billy Baker, and they can be out there. Um, I guess they're going down Route 44 now. They're going to try to visit Anawan Rock, and and we'll talk about some of the stories associated with that. That's one of those ones where you hear a lot of the same report, and it's enough so that it's, you know, it makes me think that maybe while they're out there, we should try to, you know, maybe just have them hold the phone out or whatever they can and see if maybe we can catch some of these yeah. these things that are being said out there. And we'll get into all of that uh, just in, in the second hour, too, if you'd like to join, a uh, third hour now, if you'd like to join us, give us a call, 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. Just share your stories about the paranormal. Share your questions. Maybe you think this is all a bunch of baloney and uh, you want to you know, call us up and yell at us for having people drive all around wasting good gas. You know, maybe that's your point of view. That's that's probably the biggest expense now with the paranormal investigating uh, in this area is to get to a lot of these places. It's such winding roads and in the middle of nowhere for a lot of this stuff. And you're burning a lot of gas more than anything. So, if uh, Small fortune I spent. Really? Coming out here yeah, to well, investigate. I mean, you gotta, it takes you a while just to get here anyway. Yep, hour and a half just to get get out to the general area. So, And listen to that, folks. He's going to stay here with us into the midnight hour and then drive an hour and a half home. So That's the kind of commitment I have to Spooky South Coast. And we thank you for and it. And your listeners. We thank you for it. And you can uh, pay Chris back by checking out his website, masscrossroads.com. And, of course, you can come out and check out and see us on the 21st of November in Freetown when we talk about the hauntings of Freetown, the Freetown State Forest, and the Bridgewater Triangle in general. Chris Pittman will also be joining us that night as well, so make sure you check that out. We're going to uh, pay some bills here, as Matt Costa likes to say. Uh, we'll do the midnight news break, and then on the other side, hey, it's more spooky South Coast. We're going overtime, so stay tuned. And news reports brought to you here on the sub Wave Band, broadcasting around the galaxy around the clock. And we'll be saying a big hello to all intelligent life forms everywhere. And to everyone else out there, the secret is to bang the rocks together, guys. Oh, all right then. Spooky South Coast is back. Holy cow. I can smell the I'm not afraid. You will be. All right, hour number three here on Spooky South Coast. We're not going to go the whole hour. We're just going to give you a little bit of a tease here because we do have Matt Moniz, John Horrigan, and Billy Baker out in the car investigating Route 44 now, looking for the mysterious red-headed hitchhiker. Uh, as well as hopefully if they get the chance visiting Anawan Rock, and now uh, we we don't actually don't have a hour number three theme song because we don't use we don't use oh not yet, 
We don't usually have an hour number three, but there's some big shows coming up in the future that don't be surprised if uh, we keep you up a little bit late uh, just with some of the discussion that's coming on. Uh, now, next week, we will talk to David Goudsward, who wrote a book called Ancient Stone Sites of New England. And uh, basically what he did is he did a lot of research on some of these mysterious uh, the rocks that are out there, such as Dighton Rock and many of the others uh, just that were used for different purposes over the years, but some of them really have no... Uh, history behind them, uh, no, no known history behind them. They're just these strange rocks, uh, whether they're Native American, you know, part of that tradition or whether they are, you know, all the way, I mean, he doesn't speculate this in his book because the book's very scholarly, but, you know, some people have perpetrated the theory that some of these could be, um, you know, ancient uh, civilization markings of UFO landings and so much stuff we can get into with that. And he's going to be here. He lives in California, I believe, but he's going to join us live in studio. So that's that's yeah, I mean, we, we appreciate your commitment, Chris, but he's coming across like three time zones to be here. So actually, he was uh, giving a presentation tonight uh, locally, I believe, in Dighton. So but he'll still be in the neighborhood next week and he'll join us here in the studio live. And then also we have coming up. uh the first week of December, the first Saturday in December, I think it's the second or the third, we're going to be talking about dreams and the paranormal. Huge show. I mean, this is going to be uh, just uh, – I'm, I'm very excited for this because I'm somebody that's really into the subject of dreams, uh, having experienced some strange ones myself over the years. And, and we're going to talk not only about dreams and what they mean and nightmares and what they mean, but we're going to talk about how certain sleep disorders can affect uh, people into thinking that maybe they are experiencing something paranormal. Uh, and some of these things that we've talked about, uh, the old hag syndrome, uh, night terrors, uh, you know, the, the night paralysis, uh, even incubus, succubus experiences, some of these can be spread out uh, and at least, you know, maybe explained a little bit by the science of dreams and dreaming. And on that show, we're going to have, it's just an all-star panel. We're going to have Jeff Belandrick coming on. He wrote the Nightmare Encyclopedia. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, or as we call her, Rosemary Encyclopedia Guiley, because she wrote the Encyclopedia of Dreams. And then also joining us will be Dominic Adesani from the Lucidity Institute. And we were going to have Dominic on uh, during baseball season, but he actually got he got bumped by the Red Sox. We still feel bad about that, but we might, you know, we might have to go into overtime on that show too just because there's going to be so much to cover. And speaking of covering things, we have a, a field report coming in right now. Where are you guys at now, Matt? Route 44. We're looking for that red-headed guy. Yeah, I, I heard that he's uh, kind of uh, sneaky, so... Well, we got the seat open. Yeah, we got three people in the vehicle. We're headed on 44, heading towards the Seekonk line. And we're just going to guess that you have Billy in the back seat? Yep. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, now, we're, when you're coming out of, uh, coming out of where you're, like, which direction are you heading in? We're heading westbound. Westbound. On 44. And uh, is there any particular... Uh, Areas, uh, Chris, especially where where the hitchhiker is reported to be seen, or is it kind of anywhere up and down Forty Four? There, um, as you get closer to the um, to the town line, uh, that's where they're seen. And I've had reports of people. There's a cemetery um, in between, probably where they are in the town line. That's also he's been seen going into that cemetery. Although they're not able to say that someone in that cemetery is him. Mm -hmm. um, I've also had several different people say that he kind of they've seen him on 44 walking into that cemetery. And it's a smaller cemetery, like one of those uh, smaller ones with the you know five or six graves in it. Uh, that's on there. What the actual name is, I'm not quite sure. Okay, so it's, you definitely want to keep your eyes peeled for that, Matt. I hear you. And uh, and then are you going to try to hit Anawan Rock as well, or? Yep, that's our next stop. 
Okay, well, now uh, while we have you on the phone, and, and Chris can can fill us in a little bit. Chris, what is the we we hinted at a little bit before the the start of the third hour, but what exactly is some of the reports of, at Anawan Rock? Uh, Anawan Rock, there have been a lot of reports of seeing ghost fires, um, of seeing um, orb activity, although different colored orbs, you not the traditional. Uh, kind of white one, but uh, seeing uh, red mainly or pink um, and seeing uh, several green ones. Uh, people have actually had um, auditory uh, evidence as well. They've heard um, someone scream, and then in translation it means stand and fight. Um, they've heard drums beating, uh, thing, chanting, things like that. So, and if you, of course, if you encounter any of that, Matt, you're just going to hold the phone out, right, and see if we... Oh, of course. And, uh, and of course, you've got the digital recorder to try to capture any EVPs, but it sounds like from the reports coming out of Anawan Rock, you don't actually need uh, EVP work to do it. You can just hear it with your own ears, so. And, uh, Matt, just a little bit of a side note, something you're going to find even more uh, mysterious and unbelievable. I'm actually sitting down in the studio right now. Wow. Yeah, can you believe that? I, at least as long as we've had Matt Moniz coming in here, I've never sat down during Spooky South Coast. So, but it's just it's been that kind of day. Yeah, well, did you tell people about the beer fest? No, we haven't mentioned that, no. <laughs> we, we don't want the uh, the higher-ups to think that we came in inebriated. But, yes, we were at a, at a beer festival earlier. And uh, hello to all the people that we met there and welcome aboard. Uh, hopefully you're listening to the program and enjoying it. And uh, we'll see you April 21st. Oh, we also ran into a TAPS member there. Well, I don't know if you were to broadcast that. I, don't I guess so. I guess when he's walking around, everybody's like, aren't you Dustin from Ghost Hunters? But, yeah, he was there. And it was the, the eagle and sober eye of Matt Moniz that spotted him, too, Dustin Parry from Ghost Hunters. And uh, he said he would love to come on Spooky South Coast. Uh, he's going to be joining us, so we'll have him come in sometime next month. What do you think, Matt? Does that sound good to you? Sounds like a plan to me. All right. Well, we'll see if you can bring back that redheaded guy to talk to him. So, well, we're at the uh, the sign at the Seekonk Line on Forty Four right now. And all all clear so far. Well, we'll park him. We're going to make sure that he, if he wants a ride, he's more than welcome to hop in. Are, are you going? Do you think he has a sign? Like, does, he, does everybody ever report him carrying a sign? You know, like uh, nobody has been known to pull up his pant leg and. Really? No, yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not really. I'm, I'm only kind of being facetious here. Like, uh, I mean, does he throw out the thumb? What are the overt signs that he's looking for a ride? Or is it more just, you I know? I think it's more of the driver uh, sees the intent and, and pulls That's, over. He doesn't ever seem to be, um, you know, uh, trying to get your attention. You kind it's of, more just like, oh, man, it's right, terrible that this guy's right. going to walk out here tonight. Right, and and he's called the redhead a hitchhiker, but there are more reports of him appearing in a non kind of hitchhiker uh, way than than an actual hitchhiker. People have driven through him, um, or people have broken down the side of the road for one reason or another, and he's appeared that way. So, so uh, he finds all kinds of different ways to to get inside your head. It's it's interesting because uh, the fact that he does get into people's cars and then disappear again. Uh, the fact that he's not actively looking for a ride. You know, maybe he gets into the car as a way to try to make contact, and and then he just disappears because he doesn't want to leave the area where he is. I mean, people are basically trying to take him away from where it is that he haunts, and maybe he just does not want to leave that area. All reports I've heard, he's been very malicious. Uh, he doesn't seem to want to leave because he enjoys f scaring people. You know, I don't know if that's just kind of years of mythology built attached on to him so people look for him to be that way, but um, all reports are he is... Hey, I'm here to haunt you. 
And, and from what I understand, uh, at least some of the reports that I've read on your site, is that uh, he yells. He's been known to, to – sometimes he's dead silent, doesn't say a word, but other times he's been known to actually yell at the other passengers in the car. I'm more laughing. He's been, he's been known a lot to laugh. Um, a few times he's kind of yelled but kind of in a, a more of a grunt way than actually saying anything. And it's not like it's not like a hey you know we're driving along telling a joke kind of laugh. It's like something right. It's sinister. Like, yeah, I'm coming to get you kind of laugh. It's it's really. I mean, if we could ever get to the bottom of who this guy really is, and and exactly how he got there and what happened, right. I mean, maybe that could be the huge break in in ending this haunting. I mean, but it just seems like the more people try to look into, especially yourself, somebody that's been pursuing this for many years. You know, it seems like the more information you try to dig up about them, just more of that mythology just gets piled on. Right, and a lot of people that contact me contact me with, and I did a certain amount of research and wasn't able to find anything. It just seems to be the way. Now, you said that he likes to be around that area, that small cemetery that he's been seen going in there. Mm -hmm. Any possibility that, I mean, you know, I know you said that it's kind of hard to prove if he is, but, I mean, are these older graves that are from a different time period? A lot of them are older graves that are there, and he's more associated with a farmhouse that's nearby that possibly that um, there was an accident and he went out to help and got hit himself um, or was walking along the side of the road from this farmhouse for some reason and got hit. Um, so it, it's really kind of hard to tell, but that cemetery has basically offered no evidence of there's no one that's he's described as being between, you know, between like, let's say 35 and 50. And there's no one that, um, the dates kind of match up with that either in that cemetery. And plus his, pe- you know, his garb wouldn't really fit the period w- right. of what he wears. So. Right. He seems to be in, you know, fairly modern clothes. Although the earliest report is, uh, from the, the New England Ghost Files book is 1969. So even if we're talking about someone from the 1940s, you know, somewhere between the 1920s and the 1940s, um, you know, you're, you're still talking. It's, those graves are a little bit too old for that. Well, oh, what was that? Talk. Okay. So <laughs> it's like he's done talking about him, and then you hear the noise. So it's, we just have to check. And well, bear in mind, I am standing right on Route 44. Well, better be careful so you don't become the next, uh, the, the black-haired hitchhiker. Um, still standing well off the road. Okay. And, and in terms of just the, the general feeling out there, I mean, is it uh, the same type of ominous feeling out there as well? or? It's been an extremely eerie night. The fog is actually starting to lift up a little bit as we've been moving uh, further inland here. But all the low-lying areas and anywhere that there's water, you know, it's still kind of quite hazy. And do you think that uh, if there was going to be an appearance, do you think that the climate conditions might be? Uh, would be optimal. Really? It, yeah. It just seems like, and in, in the reports that you've heard, Chris, is there any kind of uh, certain climate factors that uh, play into these reports? A uh, cold, um, uh, more towards the winter months. Um, not necessarily snow on the ground, but that kind of crisp. You know, moving in from um, from fall to winter or from from winter to spring kind of weather. I mean, that's the perfect Clear. weather too for him to not have to actively look for a ride, but to have somebody say, "Gee, right. I better pick this guy up." Right. And actually, in in, in I mean, I, that's when I get the majority of my reports is, is uh, February and March. That's kind of where the odd months that that business picks up for me, if you will. And, and I had a similar situation uh, last winter, and we had talked about the the hitchhiker. Uh, I guess well, I guess the first time they came in. And I was driving home one night, and I saw this guy on the side of the road. And, you know, just 
not redheaded, not any of that kind of – and I was going to pick him up, and it was cold night, and I probably should have picked him up, but I didn't because that story just jumped into my head, and I was like, you know what? Not tonight. I'm not in the mood for tonight. So if that person's listening, I apologize for letting – he's probably not listening because he probably got hypothermia now. He's still hospitalized, but – and if I can take the humanity from one person, then I've done my job. You have. <laughs> I didn't really have much to begin with, but you've sucked out what's left. <laughs> Matt, you might want to uh, write if you're if you're at the town line, honk your horn three times because that's another one of the the legends that's attached to him. Honk the horn three times. He honk the horn three times. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's really going to do it on the phone. <laughs> do. All right. There you go. Three times. Ed. He didn't like pop out of nowhere or anything, did he? Oh, no, here's people running across. Oh, it's just John and... Well, see what happens. Now they, they, you honk the horn, and now they think you've seen something. <laughs> They're like, they, they felt that was the uh, the alarm to get them over there. Yep. All right, well, keep poking around, and uh, when you get to Anawan Rock, give us a call. You got it. All right, take it easy. Later. So, uh, Matt, do we have any more commercials that we need to run during this hour? We do. Okay, so why don't we take a break right now, and then uh, hopefully when we come back uh, or soon after, we can check in with the guys at Anawan Rock, and uh, maybe by then they'll have picked up the hitchhiker, and uh, we will stick with you for a little bit longer here on Spooky South Coast. If you want to join in the fun, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You don't even have to be specifically talking about the red-headed hitchhiker or anything to do with the sites we're talking about tonight. Anything to do with the paranormal at all, questions, thoughts, theories, experiences, we're here to listen to it all. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. stuff here in Spooky South Coast. We're just talking about some of the uh, sites that we saw out in the Freetown State Forest and just some strangeness out there for sure. And uh, the, probably the strangest part about it is that after Matt Cost and I scaled the entire, uh, I don't know what direction it was, but the, the easier to climb side of the ledge after we got, you know, where the brook, where the, the uh, water comes down over the rocks yep. and everything, after we'd gone through the, the mud and the trees and the briars and everything and we got to the top, we're like, there's a road. Oh yeah, we could have just <laughs> driven up here. You know what? It wouldn't have it wouldn't have done much better for you. It's a really hazardous road, especially well, uh, having rained yesterday and, and the day before. It probably was pretty much washed out. Well, we ended up getting up there anyway because when we thought we were going out, we didn't. Right. We ended up going back around up there. And we're like, oh my god, we're on top of the ledge again. How do we get up here? So, and for some reason, you know, you hear the uh, the reports of the different activity that takes place in the forest, and I don't know what caused this, but. For some reason, somebody decided to sacrifice someone else's entire CD collection 
because all the jewel cases were all over the place up there. No CDs, but just the jewel cases everywhere. You know, of course I looked. I mean, it's free CDs are free right, CDs, right. you know. So, and we have out in the field tonight, Matt Moniz and John Horgan. They're out there with uh, Billy Baker, a reporter from the Boston Weekly Dig, who I, I guess is doing a story on, you know, searching for the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44. And that's who they are on the lookout for as they head to Anawan Rock. That'll be the last destination point of their uh, haunted tour of Route 44. So if uh, if they do get there soon, they'll give us a call and they'll talk to us about some of the reports out there. Maybe uh, you don't usually listen to Spooky South Coast. Maybe you join us, uh, join WBSM at midnight usually, and you're hearing us instead of J7. That's because we are pushing into the midnight hour tonight because of this huge investigation that we have going on. But uh, welcome to Spooky South Coast. We are a program dealing with the paranormal and the strange news that you wouldn't normally hear on the radio station. And uh, we welcome you. And to give you a little bit of a taste of what we talk about here, we actually have a field report coming in right now. Hello, Matt. How's it going? Hey, what's happening? I'm glad it's you and not the station higher-ups telling us to get off the air. Ah. Uh, so well, are you, we're you're at Anna One Rock. Okay. And uh, now, I've never been there myself. Uh, I've seen photos of the that's sign that's right on, on Route 44. How far yeah. is the rock in from that? from that uh, sign well it uh it's a walking distance we're we're just parked at the sign at the moment we're not at the actual rock now can you walk in there is it gated off or i'm pretty sure we could probably walk down there okay and if if anybody in the uh in the rehoboth is this is this anyone rock what town exactly is rehoboth, rehoboth? Yep. if anyone yep. from the rehoboth police department is listening right now this is actually a scientific investigation so <laughs> They are not trespassing. They are not causing trouble. They might sacrifice Billy while they're out there. Yeah. So, and again, you know, the reports that we talked about earlier is there's a lot of uh, drum beats heard, uh, you know, some some phantom voices speaking in Native American tongues, uh, and just some of the other sightings. You know, I, I think, I don't know if you said it before, Chris, because... I'm getting kind of tired, but the smell of uh, fires. I know you said they would see phantom fires, but the the burning smell, is that associated with there as well? So uh, any of this stuff going on while you're out there? Not that I can tell. Okay. Well, we have a phone call here, too. Let's let's go right to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hello? Hello. How are you doing? Hi. Yeah, I'm talking about the haunted places. Yes. Um, um, Sid Winter and Son in New Bedford. Um, I used to work there. Okay. And when I was like alone by myself, like in the um, what like semi basement, um, I would hear um, like a little girl's voice like calling out my name and everything, and I'd be the only person around. And when I was in the coolers, um, you, I would see like little white um, like mist like uh, like going past me on through the corner of my eye and everything. And and you said when you heard this little girl's voice, it called you out specifically. It called my name out specifically. And it, it sounded like a little girl. Would there be any little girl uh, in in your life that has passed on or anything that would have any reason to call out to you? No. Nope. Definitely very. And have you talked about this with any of your coworkers? Or yeah, I, I talked to my coworkers about this, and they said that uh, they believe me because they've uh, seen uh, some stuff too. Yeah, it, de- it definitely sounds like there's something going on now. What I'm not familiar with uh, with Sid Rayner and what they do there. Um, uh, it's, it's like um, Cisco. 
you know, um, okay. deliver um, products um, to restaurants and stuff. Okay. So there would be no reason for, for a child to be in that building at all any time of the day, really? No. How long has the uh, business been around? For, uh, I'd say, probably more than 10 years. More than 10 years. And do you know what it happened, happened to know what it was before that? or um, A textile factory or something, I think. Huh. Okay. That's very interesting because if you look at the history of this area and some of the factories that they had going back uh, in many, many previous years, they did abuse child labor. So that wouldn't surprise me at all if for some reason there was a child spirit trapped. Now, when you when this happens to you, uh, is it unsettling or is it just is it? In other words, does the little girl scare you or does she? No, it she wasn't. Was... It wasn't scary. It was like okay. um, an innocent thing. It was like just a little girl just calling my name out, and I like looked down around the corner, and then I'm totally by myself because I was able to hear if anybody come down into the area I was in. So it's like I was totally by myself, and I just hear a little girl call my call my name. And did she she seemed to be calling you to like, hey, come here, or was it was it just, hey, I'm I'm here? You're like, hey, she's like, um, was like letting me know that um, she's there. Okay, announcing herself. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Announcing herself. Yeah. Okay. She's like call my name. It's like it's like calling me and letting me know that she's there. And and you haven't had any similar experiences uh, anywhere else, or? Nah. Hmm. Nothing. Now, the the people that experienced uh, things uh, there as well, your coworkers, what kind of stuff has has happened to them? Um, they just um, like seeing or hearing um, anything um, when they're alone by themselves in the warehouse or something. I mean, it sounds like if the, if there is you know a, a textile history there, like you know at, at one point they probably had you know dozens of workers in there at any one time, whereas now it's you know there's less people there and. You, I'm sure you're familiar with the the, the saying that silence can be deafening. Yeah. And sometimes when you are alone and, and you are by yourself, that's when these voices start to pick up because you can really focus in on them. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if maybe next time you're working uh, and you're by I yourself. Don't work there anymore. Oh, you don't? No. Okay. Well, maybe somebody else listening that does work there could try putting a tape recorder out while they're working and just seeing if they capture anything on that. Yeah, I hope. I, I hope I where you're working now, you're not having anything. Uh, Anything like that happening to you there? Nope. All right. Well, we thank you for calling in and sharing with us. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right. Take care. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. And, of course, uh, you know, as I was saying, the, the textile history in this area, they did abuse child labor. and So that wouldn't surprise me at all if that was the case. I mean, that's obviously I'm just right. speculating, and I don't really know too many of the, the facts of what's going on. But just putting those two things together, I mean, you hear – a lot of these you know, haunted mills over in Fall River, and I'm sure that's a good deal of it. We talked earlier about the working conditions for bog workers in the older times, and, and it's probably similar with factory workers as well. Yeah, it's always, uh, it's always very uh, unsettling when the voice, especially if it's a child, calls you by your name Ooh, as opposed to just yeah. kind of calling out and you're kind of witnessing it. Unless they were calling Matt Moniz, I need to just assume they're calling Matt Costa. How's things going out there, Matt? Not bad. Uh, just tried walking up the rock. It's all wet leaves covered and slid halfway back down it. So I decided, oh, maybe I'll stay down here. It's probably a safer idea for right now. Yeah, because uh, uh, you've never been to Anawan Rock, have No, you? I've never been. I have not uh, been able got, to go to it. It's kind of a steep grade. <laughs> and and uh, do you, uh, how about how high is it? About how high? Uh, I would say it's a good 40, 45 feet from basic ground level up at a good uh, almost 
45 degree pitch. So that's a lot bigger than I expected that it was. I mean, I, I, I figured it was probably substantial in size, but I didn't think it would be that large. Now, Matt, um, I don't know if you can tell me this, but if you are um, on the top of the, the rock and you're looking out, which way is that facing? Like, which direction? Um, well, right now, I would be on the north side of the rock. Okay. Uh, from where I'm at, uh, it's pretty dark out here, and we have one flashlight between us. <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, but it is, uh, as you know, it's a pretty steep grade. Right. Um, and it, I would say it's, a, it's at least from ground level, at least about a good 35, 40 feet high. Would you not agree in roughly about maybe a, about 100 feet in circumference? Yep. Yeah, yeah. that seems accurate. And uh, while, while you're out there, uh, you know, if, if uh, anything decides to follow you home, don't bring it back to the studio. Why not? It'll just add to the collection. It's already there. I was going to say, because we've had enough problems in here with equipment <laughs> malfunction. You know, though, things have been good ever since we had Keith Johnson bless the studio. Yeah, but true. We've been lucky, so let's not uh, let's not tempt fate. Well, I'm going to do some EVP recordings, and then we're going to head back to the studio. All right. We may be here. We may not be, so... All right. We're going to we're going to check out very soon after we hang up with you. So if uh if uh anybody would like to get in touch with Matt during the course of the week to to find out more about what went on tonight or maybe they want to share some of their own experiences heading into our discussion on the 21st, you can email him at scienceadvisor@spookysouthcoast.com and uh he'll be sure to get back in touch with you. Right Matt, you're you're pretty good about responding to emails. Yeah, I usually get back to a person within a day or so. All right, so uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you back here. And if not, we'll be – well, you know what? I have to wait for you because I need my digital recorder back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Chris isn't there. Tell him, hey, Chris, thank you very, very much for coming down. Oh, thank you guys for going out there. It's kind of – I like I like what we're doing here. Yeah, he said he's very glad to stay in here while you guys get to go out there. You know, it's, it's kind of been like a little mini marathon uh, hunt. I mean, we did, really didn't get much, quote-unquote, hunting doing but it was a good chance to touch each one of these little things in this clustered little area and it's worth it just to kind of do that because you read these reports and but until you're out there you really can't connect what you're hearing to right. to something yeah it's the speed dating version of paranormal investigating you know <laughs> you stay there for a second the horn honk has time to move on all right well uh, have a good trip back and uh and if anything does go on uh, if anything major breaks just give us a call here on the vip line and, and we'll break into j7 Okay. Thanks. All right, talk to you later. That is Matt Moniz, the science advisor for Spooky South Coast, out in the field exploring some of these haunted stops along Route 44. So I think that, uh, you know, once they go back and they review some of this EVP evidence, and as we said, you know, photographic evidence, I'll probably have to throw out the window because of the fog. But, you know, maybe they've captured something. Maybe uh, with the hustle and bustle of trying to get to the next site, and try and get on the phone and give us some live reports. They might have overlooked some things that they might not have realized uh, they either could have heard or they couldn't have heard with their own ears. So, and it's also you know when you when you get that kind of evidence and it's you know the the weather factors into it. What you do is you just look for different things. Exactly. So it's not like you completely throw away the investigation. You just kind of you know either take things into consideration or think, okay, with the environment like this, you know, why am I picking this up? So uh, if if they do find anything, we'll post it up on SpookySouthCoast.com, any EVPs or photographs, and maybe uh, some of their pictures we'll just put up anyway just to give people a, a feel of what went on there tonight. And uh, in the future, we'll definitely revisit a lot of these sites. 
Uh, as I said, next week we will talk uh, to David Goudsward about the ancient stone sites of New England. And uh, speaking of sites, you want to check out Chris Balzano's site, masscrossroads.com, the home of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads. Tell everybody your tagline, Chris. Where? What? Your, your tagline. <laughs> oh, see with the crossroads? That yeah. One? yeah. Oh, or the uh, intersection of either, reality. Either or. Yeah, the intersection of uh, reality and myth, I think it is. They're way better than ours, <laughs> which is stay spectacular, everybody. That's... <laughs> See you in the crossroads. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, anyway, yeah, so we will say that. So for, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for John Horrigan, for Chris Balzano, and, and for our newest uh, person that we let into the madness here, Billy Baker, we want you all to stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is...